Hey guys, how's this going? This is Kickstand, Devin Braun. That is Biker Mike from Mars. This is the Blue Collar Philosophers Podcast. You know what we're all about. Um, well, I mean, hopefully you don't. Hopefully you're new. Yeah, hopefully everyone here has never listened to before and you've gone back and already canceled us because you listened to our previous episodes because of who we have on today. Yes. <laughs> so we actually have our first like guest done. Like, I mean, if you're watching this, first time video, yay. Uh, but we also have our first guest that we're doing a Zoom call with. Uh, we're pretty excited. The fellow's name is Chris Date. Chris, say hi. Hi. Uh, you, you said that I, I didn't think you were going to uh, actually publish the video. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, <laughs> we'll see how it works. I nicer camera, but okay. no, Hi, no. Thanks for having me oh, on the show. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, we had to not wear dark clothes, otherwise we'd just be floating <laughs> heads in the video. Our camera's so shitty. Like, yeah. So we're feeling it out. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. So Chris, I'm glad uh, to be your guinea pig. Yes, this is this is fantastic. Hell of a guinea pig! Like holy shit! <laughs> like. I, why why didn't we do I know, this, this sooner? should be one of our buddies that we're doing this. Yeah, somebody just in the next room that <laughs> has no idea what's going on. Let's yeah, jump in the deep end. All right, so we're going to allow our friend Chris here, a uh, new friend, I hope. I don't know if I can use that word. I'm a little too... Sure. It's too so out there. So forward, Michael. So forward, huh? <laughs> I didn't even use the word doctor. Uh, <laughs> Chris Date, uh, could you give us a few of your credentials and kind of where you come from and what you do? Yeah, so I have a Bachelor's of Science in Religion concentrating in theological studies, biblical and theological studies from uh, Liberty University. Um, I have a Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary where I concentrated on um, exegesis of the Old Testament and its original Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic mixed in as well. Um, Graduated from both degrees with 4.0s. I even completed that four-year degree in three years. 4.0, So I've got seriously? a little bit of credentials, and I'm Ugh. hoping to go on and do an Old Testament PhD at some point. Um, I'm also uh, published. I've got... Um, you can kind of see them above me, above my shoulder here in my feed. Uh, I've got two books published on the topic we're going to be talking about today, the topic of hell. Um, and then I've also got... Uh, two views, two two view debate books that I contributed to. One in which I'm defending Calvinism, and another in which I'm defending the deity of Christ. Uh, I'm a sort of the public face for something of a well known ministry, but also a controversial one, known as Rethinking Hell, because of the topic we're going to be talking about today. And as part of that ministry, I've had the honor and privilege and opportunity to speak at all sorts of conferences around the world and for some reason people like hearing what i have to say so you know those are some of my credentials um i'm also a very i'm, I'm something of a prolific debater um nowhere near the likes of a say James White, but i have done a huh <laughs> a oh, master debater uh, i am a master i wouldn't go so far as to call myself a master debater maybe a junior debater but um, so, uh, anyway, so those are some of my credentials. As far as where I'm coming from, um, I, I was an atheist as far back as I can remember uh, until I was about 20 to 21 years old. And very soon after becoming a believer, I developed a passion for careful theology and biblical exegesis and things like that. And so, as the years have gone on, I've just had a, a, a an increasing desire to um, edify God's people in, with a teaching ministry of sorts. And so, in 2009, uh, 2009 I think it was, I began a uh, blog, and then in 2010 or 11, began a podcast. Um, 
and I've just kind of been doing that kind of stuff ever since. I'm I'm reformed, so I'm a five-point Calvinist, theological determinist. Uh, I am a young earth creationist, which makes me a little bit weird, um, but I'm also an annihilationist, which is what we're going to be talking about today, and there's all sorts of other stuff. I, I'm kind of rambling at this point, so you'll have mm -hmm. to ask me more specific questions. <laughs> but, uh, I will say one last thing, though. Uh, I am married to a beautiful, wonderful wife I've been married to for 22 years, going on 23, and we have four sons uh, who are of staying at, you know, uh, they still live with us at home. And uh, we live in the Pacific Northwest, the greater Seattle area. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. You know, I was close to, I was close to Washington State here recently. I was down in uh, Chilliwack. And we rode the road that goes right along the Canadian-American border. And I'm like, it's freedoms right there. Freedom, <laughs> all I got to do is go over that little post. And it's like, it's just a post on the road. And there's bush. There's no guards. There's no people. You can literally go there and step into America. And I'm like, oh, if I stay here long enough, I can <laughs> I can become one. Don't people do that? Don't they just, like, walk across, go for a picnic, and then... I, on back. Th there go, are go there are places there, yeah that you can just go and there's a freedom park or something like that yeah. that has no real security there's technically security and they're totally watching it but there's no yeah. border policy yeah, so you can go we, and talk we live to in buddies. bc canada oh you're not that far oh no oh, we're, oh, very, we're far. very far we're very far north <laughs> you gotta oh, go okay. you gotta drive for about 12 hours straight north so, oh so you're like in north bc or yeah. north Van uh british columbia then? Yeah, yeah northern british columbia okay. uh, for some reason when you said bc my first thought was vancouver yeah it's, it's right be... it's it's right yeah it's the that's same province that's... i was there two weeks ago and yeah it's kind of the only part of the province that matters <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Well, all but our, if you're 12 hours north, yeah, you could not possibly be in Vancouver or you know, because <laughs> no, Vancouver's just a couple hours away from me. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were, I, was, I, I realized that. And it was kind of at the time when we first started chatting with you and somebody brought your name up to, to go on. I'm like, he's not going to talk to us. And then you actually responded. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. Oh. <laughs> and, I'm, and then I thought about it. I'm like, he's right there. He's, he's like an hour away. I went to White or, uh, yeah, White Rock uh, just outside uh, Surrey there. And yeah, you could see America and all that stuff. And so, yeah, we were very close to you at the moment. And then we had to come back home because life calls. So, yeah, indeed. Um, right on. So, so you were an atheist for the better part of, of your younger years then. So Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. What changed sorry? there? Um, I was raised in. Uh, a, a whole a household that was not overtly Christian. I didn't find out uh, as far back as I can remember anyway, until I was in my teens, roughly, that my mother and father both identify uh, and identify today as Christians. But, but it wasn't something we talked about. We didn't go to church or anything like that. And um, as, like I said, as far back as I can remember, I, I was an atheist. In fact, when I was in high school, uh, we, we had a... Um, uh, uh, our mascot was was called the Conquerors, and there was a group of Christians that would meet at lunch in the library, and and they called themselves Conks, which is short for Conquerors, Conks for Christ. And I remember I went in there one day and just started making fun of them and mocking them, and you know I was I was a pretty big asshole about it. Um, so I was pretty, and I was hostile towards Christianity in particular, but religion in general. Well, so what changed was. Um, by the time of my late teens, uh, my dad and I, so my mom and dad divorced when I was very young. Mm -hmm. And 
um, the way that I was able to continue to have any, you know, a meaningful relationship with my father was a couple of times a year we would go on trips together. He would take me um, and we'd go around the country to various places to camp and stuff. And we both developed a, a love uh, or at least an interest in caves. So we w we've been to like Lewis and Clark Caverns and Jewel Cave and Mammoth Caves and, you know, all those, all a lot of the big name ones around the country. And on these trips where we'd go to these camping, these camping trips and caves, um, I would, especially in my later teens, I would pepper my dad with questions as an atheist. Not, though, the kinds of questions you ask sincerely looking for answers. Yeah, they're the right? ones they're the kinds you, of, huh? yeah, They're the ones you do when you're kind of looking for a rise or looking to... To dig exactly. a little, exactly, yeah. exactly. Leading mischievous douchebag questions. Yeah. Oh, I know. I've, exactly asked, right. I've asked. I've asked a bunch of them. Like I grew up uh, fairly fundamental Christian my whole life, and then had this kind of like just like a radical brain shift when I was in my late twenties, and just went off the rails as far as my faith. And I would, you know, was reading a lot of atheistic authors or agnostics and stuff like that and kind of got caught up in that whole thing so i remember going you know through a couple rows with my family and friends and, and club brothers about <laughs> about that mm. stuff because i was asking those dick questions well okay but to be fair your questions were probably much better than mine if you were reading <laughs> atheists and agnostics and yeah. stuff mine were mine were dumb like <laughs> could god my, build a rock so big that even he could not lift it that well, kind of douchebaggy question so here's an example um i don't know whether this paints me in a good light a bad light or if i even care um a, an example of a question i remember asking my dad was it at the time i was the fan of a shock jock radio host by the name of tom Lycus. okay Tom Likas is a horrible human being. Now, I realize that now. Uh, for anybody who knows who Tom Likas is or was, I don't even know if he's still alive. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody shot him. But oh, um, that's a great guy. He was not a good guy. <laughs> but but I liked him. I was a shock. I, I enjoyed Shock Jock Radio. And I remember one time Tom Likas was talking about how he he was giving a public invitation, an offer to have some prominent Christian woman psychologist or some or or something, I think it might have been Dr. Laura or something like that, was offering to pay her to, to give a million dollars to charity if all this uh Christian public figure would do is bare her breasts uh publicly to you know to be seen. Cause she he Tom Likas had this thing where it was like every Friday uh, I think he called it Flash Fridays. He would encourage women driving down the street to flash men on, you know, during the commute or whatever. And he was he was trying to he was saying, "Hey, look, I'll give a million dollars to charity if this. I don't know if it was Dr. Laura or somebody else. If they would do it, I'll give I'll give a million dollars to charity." And he was making the argument that if she's unwilling to do that, that means her faith is bullshit. Because why wouldn't you? do something as simple as bury your chest in order to get a million dollars given to charity. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of one of the kinds of things I threw at my dad during those days. I asked him that very thing. Like if this is believe, you know, if you really care that much about Christ and about other people and helping people, why wouldn't you do something so trivial? Well, obviously that's a stupid question um, because you don't do one wicked thing to get some other good thing to come about number one and number two um he's the one doing something wicked right yeah. he's the one holding he's, he's fabricating a, sort of a scenario mm -hmm. yeah yeah so those are that's the kind of stupid childish question i would ask my dad during those years anyway 
Uh, fast forward to shortly after the birth of my first son. Again, this would be in my 2021-year-old 20, uh, time. And, I, and we went on one of these trips, my dad and I. And for the first half of the trip, the questions I asked were like that. Um, and by the way, when my dad would give answers, they weren't great ones. He, I, I don't know if at the time he even knew what the word apologetics was. It's not like he had good answers. But the first half of this trip was like that. I was asking him those kinds of questions. And then literally overnight, like I went down, I went to bed in, in, in my cot in the tent, hostile to the faith with those kinds of bullshit childish questions. And then I woke up. And all of a sudden, my questions were sincere, and I was interested. And I found myself wanting to read the Bible when I got home, and 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 I started listening to Christian talk radio. The Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, became a big staple of my daily listening. So, the the short answer to your question: What changed is my heart. It wasn't. I wasn't convinced into the kingdom. I wasn't, I didn't have some sort of miraculous experience. It was like, holy cow, God exists. It's just overnight, God took out a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, and I believed. Now, since then, I have gone on to care a lot about apologetics and evidence and arguments and stuff like that. But I'm just saying, what changed, God changed me. That's what changed. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. I kind of, I, I, I can kind of see why your Calvinist or may appear as one at this point. <laughs> I see no, it yeah, as unlike, like, yeah. There's a, there's a for that kind of transformation to to see it the way that you do. I'm like, yeah, recognizing that. I'm like, yeah, there's a view that I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm personally not a Calvinist. That's not, okay. And I, I know, I know. <laughs> we, we, I, I, I am. An, <laughs> that's right. And uh, well, simultaneously after that story, I'm like, yeah, uh, listening to sense. that, I understand where you're coming from. Well, I disagree with Calvinism, but 110 percent. Well, simultaneously recognizing, it's, uh, I get it. I do. I'm 100 percent. Like I'm like I'm not. I'm not a bad faith view. I'm not going to look at you and assume a bad faith just because. Oh, he's a Calvinist, so he must be a giant <laughs> hunk of shit. I was thinking about this today. So, um, you could tell me this person's like, no. You tell me somebody is pro gun in our area, which we're not allowed guns. So if somebody tells me, hey, I'm pretty pro gun. I guarantee you, I agree with like ninety percent of what you're going to talk about. I'm I'm going to be on the board, but if you tell me, "Hey, I'm a Christian," I, I'm not even close there yet. I'm like, "Okay, cool, all right." We're well, we, we'll see. we've got about ten percent <laughs> started. I can't assume the other ninety is going to be gold. Where if you tell me you're pro gun, I'm like, "Okay, ninety percent." If you're an atheist, we're still pretty good. <laughs> well, speaking of pro gun, there ah! we go. To be points with you, this yeah. is my. Uh, uh, Springfield XD 45 ACP. That's a beautiful gun. I love that one. I, it's my favorite. I love that pistol more than anything I've ever fired before. I remember I was in Texas a long time ago, and uh, I went I got, went and caught up with a buddy in, from the motorcycle club that we were part of for a while, and uh, he picks me up, and he's like, oh, you got to go to my place, and I hop in his car. It's Prius. Yeah, uh, Texas, <laughs> and he's driving a fucking Prius. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm like, all right, cool. No, it's fine. He's in. He rides a motorcycle. We're halfway there. And then I look in his center console, like right there between the two seats, and I could just see the handle. And it was a Springfield XD45. And I'm like, is that this? And he's like, 
Yeah, it actually is. You could tell by the handle. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I like guns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Canadian who loves oh, yeah. guns. I love going down south for that stuff because, like, you'd get off the airplane and they'd, like, hand you a piece. Be like, no, you're not walking around unstrapped. Yeah, <laughs> here's <on>. your gun. <laughs> I love I, you guys. I was like, uh, <laughs> I even said that to a buddy. I'm like, I have not seen a lot of guns. He's like, no. And he hands me one. Yeah, He's like, like five guys all put out pieces and put them on the table. We're like, oh, okay, you're just not showing them off. Right? Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's nothing to them. It's like, no, freedom's just normal here. Uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, though, some states are more free than others. Yeah, um, We're, I was I'm in, in Washington. I'm in Washington, for example, which uh, is open carry. So yeah, you just carry it on your hip. Yeah. And it's a state where the state has when you apply for like a concealed carry permit, the state has to prove that you shouldn't get one in order to deny it to you. But then if you go to somewhere like California, it's the opposite. If you want a concealed carry, you have to prove to the government that you should have one. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to vary from state yeah, to state. Yeah, for, for us, if you want... Uh, you have to be rich and powerful. Yeah, if you want a restricted firearm, which is like handguns and certain <laughs> other ones, like you need to go through a whole school program, get it, and you, you basically sign on for daily record checks. Yeah, they check the, your criminal record every single day for a reason to take it away from you or to... Come yeah, and you're not allowed to carry. Firearms. And you're not allowed to carry no matter what, unless you have you're rich. It, you can have it in a locked, oops, a locked container that you can carry with you in your car to the gun range. No. At which point you're able to take it out and. Unless you're rich, unless you can prove that you're within within uh, uh, a range of danger. So if you carry a lot of money, or you're somebody of wealth or celebrity that could be in danger, you're allowed to carry. Not allowed. You still have to run through permits and everything. But if you're rich and of influence, you can carry in Canada. Not kidding. So it's just matters. So it is a privileged class. They okay. talk about classism in America. Fuck, so, you guys don't know. You don't know shit. We have it in Canada <laughs> far worse. Oh, well, and you've country. got pastors being arrested for saying what the Bible says about homosexuality, for mm -hmm. example, as well, right? Yeah. Uh, hey, don't you live in, like, Washington? <laughs> yeah, it'll, it won't be long before it happens here, too. Yeah, that's, that's sure. right. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we go too much further into the rabbit hole, let's, let's um, talk about the picture in which um, has sparked this conversation. Because I, I know there's so much we could talk about, and we there's and I do want to just shoot the shit with you and talk about Calvinism and Arminianism and and hell yeah, and all these things. About hell, but so we're here to talk to about it. hell. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a picture uh, that came up. Do you remember the text of it of what it said? Or are you gonna no, look it I up? don't because I no, I was thinking we we're gonna get to that later. Oh no, I want to get it on it pretty quick so we can get past it really quick because I. <laughs> Just because right, I want to, Devin's pulling it up. So it's a picture that we found online on Facebook that said, um, uh, I don't want to paraphrase, but at the same time, if hell is the only thing that keeps you from doing evil, then you're not a good person. You're just a bad person on a leash. Is that a, yeah, that's it. Yeah, is that's that a, a good approximation of what it said? And a lot of people, they were posting this stupid picture and I texted it to you first. I'm quite sure I sent it to you. And I'm like, this thing bothers me. I know why it bothers me, but what's your guttural reaction? And my first, well, I wanted to get your reaction from it. And then you put it on Facebook and then fucking Chris Date. <laughs> so kind of one thing led to another. My first reaction was a guttural, no, we're not good. 
like everyone assumes, okay, you're just good. You're you're not you're not a good person or bad. It's the presumption of goodness or perceived goodness. People think that you think that you're a good person, and I'm like, well, that's not true. I don't conceive myself as a good person. I see conceive myself as somebody who is saved because I could not be good enough because Jesus made me good enough. Because if I tried to do it on my own, I couldn't. So do I see myself as a good person? No, but it's a very bad faith view of assuming every single Christian is just doing it for the fear of hell. So I, th- I find it very shallow, and there's a, that's the reason I just well, I didn't like it. Don't it like close it. To home. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh frick, man, is that my motivation? And then I was thinking, like, you know, a lot of the ways that we present hell, like that is a legitimate criticism of a lot of the ways it comes across. Hmm. Right, like. The fire brimstone teaching the you know like if if that's the hammer you're using to try and and win souls or the try and, and get people to behave a certain way then yeah it is kind of it is kind of just the the epistemological cu- cudgel. Is that Maker's Mark? Yes, yeah. sir. Awesome. Very cool. I usually um, go with Bullet, but you know uh, they didn't have any in stock. That's all right. I actually didn't really enjoy. I, when I when I drank, I had to quit ten years ago because it was it was becoming a problem. But but uh, when I drank, I wasn't a big fan of Maker's Mark. But I did go on one of those trips with my dad. I mentioned I went to the place where they bottle uh, Maker's Mark, so I got to see where they do the wax on the on the yeah, on, nice. on the thing, and it was did, awesome. Did you get to taste no, I, any of the other stuff that they had? Uh, I don't. I, I'm sure we tried a few things, but it, it wasn't my jam. I, I'm a I'm a more of a Jack Daniels or even like Jameson kind of guy. Okay, but, I won't hold it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, re- regarding that that meme that you're talking about or whatever, I- I'll add. Not only do I agree with ev- with what uh, uh, you guys said, but but I'll add Christians that actually have a informed faith. They don't avoid doing evil things in order to avoid going to hell. They already believe that their salvation is secured by virtue of their faith in Christ. The reason they do try to avoid doing evil is in order is because they so desperately love the person that saved them. And they're trying to please that person in the way that they act. That's not it's not about avoiding hell. So there's just on multiple levels that image that you were talking about was garbage. Yeah, cuz like as a person who, you know, has a belief in in a heaven hell about you know, a spiritual afterlife stuff like that, like that's the last thing I think of, you know, <laughs> day in day life is like, "Oh shoot, did I just trip into into a hell situation? Oh, I better not do that." Like, it's just, I'm just like, did you get married on a Tuesday? Straight to hell. Straight there's to, that. Straight to hell. <laughs> it's an ongoing joke. It was just straight to hell, you know, <laughs> where we talk about things that we do, and it's like, well, this will send you to hell. Uh, <laughs> anyways, and yeah, I found it to be just so shallow. While simultaneously recognizing that I was raised in a uh, world of where my father, who's a great man, love him, really awesome, while simultaneously having a very skewed view in some areas <laughs> when it comes to. Um, if you believe that your friend was in a, about to enter a car that was going to explode, would you let your friend enter that car? And you know, of course, you'd be like, "Well, no." It's like, "Well, that's like your friend going to hell." You're trying. You're there to evangelize and and to to uh, steer them away from going into that car. You're trying to keep them away. So I think our our motivations changed throughout the years of from. Uh, I'm not worried about me. It's, it's, you're no longer worried about yourself once you're on the in the in the boat, as it were, and 
or out of the car and like, yeah, I'm not, I'm avoiding this one thing. You're not worried about you. So you're worried about your friends. And I just, I found it really hard because it's supposed to be the love of Jesus, which, which draws us to him, not the fear of hell. But the, the Bible talks about hell so often. It's like, how do we overlook it? Well, simultaneously, I believe people are stupid and need, sometimes need a, a fear factor, something to steer them away. Because, yeah, I, I do believe people are stupid. They needed Ten Commandments to tell them to not kill and to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm like, that just seems like a common thing nowadays. But mm. it, it, it wasn't common at the time. So, yeah. Did you have something similar to that when you were growing up, the keep your friends from going to hell? Not just worried about yourself, because once you know you're good, or oh, no, once you've gotten to that point. I was a horrible evangelist. <laughs> oh, no, the worst. <laughs> See, I did street evangelism as a teenager. Like the, you, you remember those little kids that did... Um, uh, we, I went to one called Street Invaders, where we do dramatizations and skits on the street to point people <laughs> to Jesus. Yeah, I did that for years. I taught a drama class. Did you know that? I did not. So you have something in common with our prime minister. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hate that guy. Oh. You know? yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a walking shit stain. He's yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> so we like you better all the time. Yeah, I was really worried you being from Washington. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure where this guy's going to be good fish. <laughs> I don't I don't fit in well in Washington. Uh, I, I see so, that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh all right, so I got some questions for you because I don't want this to be one giant circle jerk. I told myself I wasn't going to say not that. I'd participate in a circle jerk either. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I'm so, hard out on that. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not a Calvinist, uh, I'm going to jump to one of my questions that I had. Uh, duh, 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 duh. I think it's impossible for a uh, to view God as a Calvinist. I think it's impossible to view God as good and believe in con- eternal conscious torment. I really do. I think it is a predetermined effect that, you you know, if you're going to be a Calvinist and view God as good, you can't believe in conscious eternal torment. Do you know anybody like that that believes in conscious eternal torment while simultaneously proclaiming that you have no free will and you can't? Yeah, isn't that the majority view? Of Cal- I'm, well, I'm asking. Because I don't, is this talk to a Calvinist moment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The short answer to your question is, in a sense, um, the vast, vast majority of Calvinists do believe in eternal conscious torment, yes. However, they and I would reject your premise that in Calvinism people don't have free will. We just don't think that the free will we human beings exercise is the kind of free will that non-Calvinists think we exercise. But that's a whole other discussion. But yes, it is the case that most Calvinists believe in eternal torment. Now, is it impossible for them to do so and still claim that God is good? I can't see why, um, especially or in part because I'm not sure that it makes it any better if God does to these people that he has predetermined to reject him, what I think he will do, which is destroy them. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not sure how that's particularly much better. Um, well, to a nihilist, it's not that, that bad. Yeah. I guess, like, What's I've, that? I've, I've, to a nihilist, it's not that bad. Okay. Being destroyed as a nihilist, you're like, oh, oh maybe okay. We're, maybe we're at a good point in the discussion here to have Chris explain his view <laughs> so that we define Maybe. so that we define some of the terms and people listening will, will kind of have an idea of what we're what we're doing yeah 
We, we you just kind of drug me halfway into a conversation <laughs> yeah. that we hadn't oh, started. Mike is the worst for really that. Bad he, at that. He is one of those guys where he's thinking I, three or four steps ahead of where he's talking, and so then all of a sudden it'll just be like a blip, and then you're like through a non sequitur <laughs> into the, the deep part. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it's just no it's not you. It's me. I'm, I'm the brakes in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we've got some. That's right. Like I said, we're a good balance here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you want me to sort of lay the terrain of the debate and and where I stand on that debate? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So most of your listeners that are Christian, and for that matter, most who are not, will probably be under the impression that. Um, part and parcel of christian theology is the is belief in eternal torment in hell and what uh, w- when we say the doctrine of eternal torment we're not just talking about ongoing conscious suffering of some sort forever in hell we're talking about p- resurrected people with immortal bodies who live physically forever in hell um see all christians that are in fact Christians believe in what's called resurrection. Um, regardless of what we think happens between death and resurrection, we believe that one day all the dead, saved and lost alike, are going to be raised from the dead, brought back to physical embodied life. And all Christians who are in fact Christians agree that the saved, those who are in Christ or however you want to cash that out, they will be made immortal at that time. Immortal in the strongest sense of the word. They will physically live forever in a glorious, restored cosmos with sin having been gotten rid of, whatever. Um, What the doctrine of eternal torment says is that the resurrected unsaved will also be made immortal, both in soul and in body. So hell is not a place where souls go when you die. So that's in, really in, that's really interesting because I'm not sure I know any Christians who delineate it like that as you are eternally living as a physical body. Almost everybody I know kind of skips that part <laughs> and there's this nebulous idea of like oh maybe you're like a disembodied soul or maybe you're a spirit or just, just a, a floating orb or like they they, they don't go so far to, to specify that mm. well would would you say that that's also true uh when it comes to the good place as well because my experience is that most christians don't even think about themselves as people who will one day rise from the dead and be physically immortal. yeah like even in heaven like they they think of right. it as like it, you know like bugs bunny like your like likeness <laughs> you know comes out of your body in some sort of form that recognizes you but isn't physical like it's like a it's it's a soul version of you that goes off and is in heaven with jesus right yeah um that is a very popular view uh but it is not the christian view um <laughs> well i mean i, I think christians be a bear. Have, christians have that view i think they just aren't thinking about it very deeply or concretely are you saying christians don't always well, think about what they believe you know when when we first started talking <laughs> before we started recording you asked us if we like adhere to the creeds you know for instance right and then and you started of naming the... more than one and i'm like what <laughs> slow down buddy but you know one of the lines in the apostles creed is i believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen uh, but we, like how many denominations actually recite these creeds how many of them think about these lines that have been part of our faith for 2,000 years 
we just don't think about it anymore. We don't recite these mm. things. We don't say it. So we think of we think of the afterlife in a Bugs Bunny way. Yeah. Oh, not only that, but you've got songs like you know, going up to the spirit in the sky. Right. We have this. Our our hope has become. <laughs> going to heaven when we die yeah and, and even if that does happen the bible says that's only that's not the end of the story one day we'll come back from heaven and be resurrected and glorified etc and yeah. yeah more christians need to think about that than actually so whatever do. is going to happen to you after you die right now there is another thing happening further down the line that's right yep that's right so so the 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 Historically dominant view, the eternal torment view, which you can find people, Christians teaching as far back as 160, 170 AD. Um, not before that, though, by the way. Uh, according to that view, the lost will be resurrected and be made bodily immortal and live physically forever in hell. Um, so it's it's not just eternal torment, it's inter eternal embodied torment. All right. Now, um, which I've the got a bad back, I, so I get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the view I uh, have come have become convinced of about 12 years ago, roughly 11 years ago, is called conditional immortality. And the Actually, idea is I quite is that, like that term. What's that? I quite like that term. I, I think I it, do does, too. it does a good job reframing the, the focus of it. It's like when, when people think annihilation, like it's, I don't know, it's uh, it's got this sense of like, just done dark it's i don't know it's it's a heavy like you know it's a it's a heavy word you know i mean most metal bands like have it in their name <clears throat> but they also think of it like okay you're you're talking about the hell you're talking about the judgment you're talking about the the fire part of it i like the term conditional mortality because it refocuses the focus on who we are as created beings or what kind of state we're in. How did God create us to be? Yeah. If that, if that makes no, I, any sense, right? Cause like at that point you need to think about, okay, what is an immortal soul, you know, and who is immortal, you know, and what are the conditions that like, so when you start thinking about those questions, it kind of takes some of the emotion away from being like, but you can't, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, the emotional response to the idea of annihilationism. It's like, you can't take away hell. You're you're getting rid of a, of a core doctrine if you get rid of hell because mm. people aren't there to experience it. But you're so, I like the way it reframes the conversation to be a little bit more, yeah, yeah about what is a soul and, and how does that work rather than implying you're getting rid of a core doctrine. Sure, but but just to be clear, the immortality in conditional immortality really is more about the body than the soul. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. It's not to say the soul is irrelevant, but, but remember, the doctrine of eternal torment says the resurrected lost will be made immortal in both soul and body and go on living forever. Um, so it's a form of unconditional immortality god indiscriminately gives immortality to everybody when he raises them from the dead on the traditional view but but we i believe in conditional immortality meaning that immortality um especially of resurrected people um is something that is conditioned on being in christ being saved being uh having faith so what will happen then to those who don't meet that condition? Well, they won't be made immortal like we will. They will be raised still mortal. 
and they will literally die a second time. Their 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 punishment will be literal capital punishment, death, execution. But the reason why it's sometimes called annihilationism is because conditionalists believe that if if we do have souls that continue to be conscious between death and resurrection, this, it won't only be the bodies of the of the resurrected lost that are destroyed, it will be their souls as well. And so the entire conscious entity comes to an end, uh, and, and that's why the word annihilated is an apt description. Um, okay. So I have no problem identifying as an annihilationist, it's just that for me, annihilation, annihilation is sort of the corollary of the main point which is that immortality is a gift. And it's a gift that none of us merits. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. It's, it's a gift that God, has to, that God must give us if we're going to experience everlasting life. So <coughs> that's the, basically the train of the debate. There is, of course, a third view, universalism. Um, so you wouldn't and, consider yourself a universalist at all? Like I've, I've heard some people say, oh, be careful, he's a universalist. And I'm like, I don't think you know... <laughs> Him. I don't think I just some people in my church they don't know anything. Yeah, the the second you said that, I was like, wait, do they have any idea? Like, have I'm they like, listened to a thing? So, <laughs> I, I I debate universalists. I don't know <coughs> where somebody could get that idea. What maybe? Who was on an uneducated were... view? That's all. He had no idea what your view was. I was like, oh, he just had a thing, rethinking hell, and his jump, mind jumped to universalist. Oh, okay, I, uh, I, yeah, I maybe think I, that's what he it's was. It's the Rob Bell effect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. A, an effect now. <laughs> well, and and, and uh, there isn't even uh, like I uh, universalists annoy the hell out of me uh, to use a poor taste pun. So <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not at all tempted to be a universalist. However. What is true is that I defend the orthodoxy of some universalisms. So what I mean by that is there are some universalisms that I think don't deserve to be considered within the pale of orthodoxy, something that a Christian can legitimately hold. Um, something like an outright pluralism, where no matter what you believe, no matter what you do, no matter blah, 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 you're, you're going to go to heaven when you die. That kind of universalism. Oh, fuck that. That's heretical. I don't yeah. see how... I'm hanging out um, with Hitler. So what'd you do? It's like, well, I didn't kill my dog. Sure. Sorry. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> so, so there is that kind of universalism, and I don't think that deserves to be called Christian. But you've got self-proclaimed evangelical universalists like Robin Perry and Eric Ray Tan and and others who, although out to lunch, in my opinion, and 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 although lacking any biblical foundation whatsoever, in my opinion, nevertheless, there's nothing uh, heretical about their view. They still, they believe that when the lost are resurrected, if they don't, if they're not in Christ, they will go to hell mm -hmm. and they will remain in hell for weeks, months, years, centuries, millennia, as long as it takes until they repent in saving faith in Christ. Five so minutes for most affirm, people today. What's that? I was going to say five, uh, the, the pussification of North America, did they be there for like five minutes? Like, all right, I repent. Like, it wouldn't take people <laughs> long. It's, it's, really, honestly, you're in hell at that point? It's like, okay, now I really do believe. Like, okay. up sure. until that point, so, they were really on so the that, fence. That view of universalism, it reminds me of the last season of the TV show, The Good Place, where it's like those <laughs> people in that conception of heaven and hell, like, were just recycled through until they figured things out and then yeah, got to the a good, good place. Okay. It's a good point. And it's funny that you mentioned that because at one of our Rethinking Hell conferences a few years ago, 
I actually did my plenary presentation on The Good Place. Uh, I, I love that show. Oh, it was, and so, it was so fun. <laughs> it, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Was it was great. Yeah, I mean, like, even though it was divorced from the Christian idea of, of, you know, of heaven and hell, it didn't have anything like a savior or salvation or anything like that. It still was just, like, great picking apart and, and trying to, you know, analyze this idea of the afterlife and, and ethics or, and or stuff even, like Yeah, that. ethics and morality, or what is it, the <laughs> atheistic morality and understanding. It's like, yeah, you might think you're being good, my, but my favorite this part far. Of the, my favorite part of the whole thing was at the end when it was like, they get to the good place, the people that are there are like, this place sucks. you got to <laughs> do something about it. I'm like, oh, that's good. It's like, our, <laughs> I mean, our conception of heaven is so woefully shitty <laughs> oh i agree with you like i i um this is me this is a little bit tangential but i i have and this is also speculation but i've i've the, the question i ask sometimes to people is what what prevents you right now from being able to explore the distant reaches of the cosmos well number one you're mortal so you're only going to be able to live so long. And number two, technology is only advanced so far. Well, now consider that there's nothing inherently evil about technology. And it seems to me very feasible, very plausible, that in the resurrection, when God gets rid of all evil and he glorifies us so that we no longer sin, we could continue to advance technology eternally. Um, we wouldn't be using it for sinful purposes, and it would enable us to learn more and more about the cosmos, which seems like it's intended. God seems to have intended for us to be able to make sense of his universe and explore it. Well, that's why there's so much mystery around, a mystery around it, right? Like, <laughs> they talk about the ever-expanding universe, and some people are like, oh, the universe is expanding. And they're like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like, oh, into what? It's like, don't ask. It's like, no, <laughs> huh? What do you mean, don't well, ask? Well, I just imagine if in in the resurrection and in in eternity, after sufficient after technology has advanced sufficiently far, you might be able to take a few thousand years trip to uh, you know some distant galaxy and then come back and still be able to enjoy time with your friends who didn't go on the trip with you, right? I mean, so and that's, that's just a sample. Imagine honestly, the kinds uh, of sports that we might come up yeah. with over oh, eternity, right. or imagine the different kinds of art, <clears throat> music. There's just so much. Anybody who says that eternity could get, would get boring has no imagination whatsoever. Yeah. So I've, I've never, or no, and, no vision. I've never quite thought of of eternity in in that way. Of like, and I, maybe maybe I don't think of myself as embodied in eternity <laughs> as much as I think I thought I did. <laughs> like uh, that's that's fantastic. Imagine if you would a like, Harley that never broke down. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the idea, even the idea that uh, like you know people ask you know the question like oh what do you think or do you think like you know God made other races other places or or other like species or alien you know civilizations like are they out there and like you think like okay yeah sure the cosmos is huge like why wouldn't there why wouldn't there be the idea that maybe is sitting there waiting for the glorified version of us to go and do things with like a, like another layer outside of a garden of Eden to go explore when we're ready is interesting. Well, it's, it's, I, I am of the conviction that there is no other sentient life in the cosmos, but, but, but whether there is or there's not, well, wait, what um, if it's, what if it's like empty, just waiting for us to go and, 
populate. Yeah, that's that's what no. I mean. Not not like there's aliens out there. Yeah, terraforming. Uh, right? I mean, like, ter- you know, here, here's another thought. There are some Christians who think that who who, who take a minority view of what Jesus says when he says um, that in the resurrection they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Most Christians take that as an indication that we will not reproduce in the resurrection. But some Christians think otherwise. Well, what if um, glorified humanity is able to continue reproducing even after being resurrected and glorified? Well, our planet would only be able to sustain a certain number of people. Well, but if technology advances and we can terraform other planets, right? I mean, glorified humanity might reproduce indefinitely throughout the cosmos and travel and establish colonies. It's 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 fascinating stuff, and it is all speculation, but of it's course. fascinating to think you, about. You 100% need to have a beer with Elon Musk, because I think this line of thought, <laughs> would, I think this would get him on team. <laughs> Jesus. Be like, all right, I'm <laughs> like, wait a second. We can actually do the whole Mars thing and beyond. <laughs> He just all he heard was Mars. He's like, I don't, I don't care. I think, yeah, I think that uh, might sell him on. Who is this Jesus feller? <laughs> I just <laughs> somehow I doubt that Elon Musk will say the word feller. But that's feller. <laughs> Sorry, I have this. I, I heard him on the Babylon Bee. I don't put anything past him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we went off on a huge tangent there, away from annihilation. Isn't That's it funny okay. that even in even when our desires to talk about hell, we still talk about uh, life. <laughs> we still talk well, about the things. It, it, it's it's a natural progression of people with hope, man. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's and, right. And uh, I really have a hard time when people all they think about is the negative and the hell and the they're just like oh, got to think about how horrible everything is. I'm like, dude, we live in the best time ever. Yes, my body hurts. Yes, everything's shitty around us, but it's constantly but getting it's the better. Best. <laughs> it's still the best ever. Everything's getting worse, yet everything's getting better. It's, it's unbelievable. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, anyway, to, to try to get our train back on the track. So, so that's the terrain of the, the, the debate. You've got these three views, the eternal torment view, my view, conditional immortality or annihilationism, and then universalism. Um, if people want to Google rethinking hell triangle, they'll see a helpful uh, visualization of these three views uh, and what they share in common and what where they disagree. So people might find that resource useful. Yeah. So as somebody who loves exegesis, the word of God, um, you know, and and teasing and apologetics, I'm assuming that you're not coming up with this idea out of like an emotional response to eternal conscious torment or you're you're not just thinking pie in the sky stuff like you think that that this is like in scripture clearly. Right. Yes, Absolutely. So I, I, I am of the conviction, rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. that Scripture teaches few things as clearly as it does this this view. Um, and to answer your question about emotional, you know, emotions and reaction to the traditional view, um, the the story of my becoming convinced of this view is that about twelve years ago, I interviewed a guy on my podcast named Edward Fudge, who has since passed on. Um, but he he wrote the seminal work on this topic called the fire that consumes and i interviewed him for two hours the first hour i gave an opportunity to present a positive case for his view but i said to him 
I don't give a crap. I didn't say that, but I said I, I didn't. I don't give a crap about the philosophy. I don't want to just hear about how horrible the doctrine of eternal torment is. I said I don't share those intuitions with you, and I still don't. By the way, I don't think there's anything immoral or uh, unjust or, or anything like that, unloving about the doctrine of eternal torment. I do. But what happened was, <laughs> I. What's that? I I, don't, I, don't, I totally believe it's un, unjust, immoral to believe okay. in, and, and in, 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 in eternal tor torment. That is, I'm just I, I don't think it's. I, I think that's cruel and and bordering on evil. I understand and and, and I get it. There but it's an emotional response. I recognize that it is an emotional response and, and mathematical incongruency for me. I'm like I don't see it mathematically adding up that a good, well, gracious, holy God would create a being in which He said on the cross, "Forgive them for they know what they, what they do." Forgive them for they know not what they do. In this scenario of killing the savior of men and then they're going to turn around and 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 be like but you you're going to suffer suffer all eternity it's like no he, if if there's going to be some kind of consistency if he's going to be gracious i think i am of the um the annihilationism i do believe that there is going to be a hell i just don't think it's going to be eternal because we're like children if he, he's going to be the good father that they that the bible proclaims him to be a good father still puts down the dog when when it's sick and when it can't do anything about it. The, the dog can't do anything, or the yeah, when there's nothing he can do. What is what is he supposed to do? Just oh, oh I got he's supposed to suffer. No, fuck that. I don't I don't see it mathematically. I, I understand, and I am not particularly interested in debating you on that point oh no no, no. i don't hold that view anyway but exactly <laughs> uh but I, I i don't share those same intuitions we could talk about some other time why the the thing i'm getting at is just that um it was over the course of conducting that interview with edward fudge and, and preparing for it that i went from being firmly in the doctrine of eternal tor torment to being on the fence between that view and the view he was presenting to me conditional immortality and what got me to that point was not emotions or philosophy or anything it was raw biblical data and i couldn't deny how clearly it seemed it was teaching this view and eventually i did become convinced of it so yes uh uh, uh kickstand uh, to you to, to answer your question that's right i did not this was not about emotions or philosophy or anything like that for me it was I was dragged. Mind you, I've already told you guys I'm extremely conservative and I'm reformed. And, and as I'm exploring this topic, I'm knowing if I end up rejecting the traditional view, I'm going to become a pariah in the eyes of my fellow reformed Christians, you know? So I desperately wanted to hold on to the doctrine of eternal torment, but I had to bend my knee to scripture. And what became very clear to me was that Scripture very clearly teaches this view. In fact, what I've been known for saying for many years now is, with virtually no exception, every proof text historically cited in support of eternal torment proves upon closer examination to be better support for conditional immortality and annihilationism. Can, so whether you you're talking couple, Matthew Yeah, sorry, huh? I was going to ask if you can give us a couple examples, because I can hear a couple people in my in my mind yeah. right now that are listening that are being like, show me the references! Yeah. <laughs> I can hear them right now, very clearly. 
Yeah, yeah. Matthew 25, 41 to 46, which talks about eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and it's either eternal life or eternal punishment. Mark 9, 48, uh, their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord. Revelation 14, 9 to 11, the smoke of the torment rises forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Revelation 20, 10 to 15, the, the devil, the beast, and the false prophet tormented forever and ever in the lake of fire. All of these verses sound to somebody who already believes in eternal torment like they're teaching eternal torment. I get it. Yeah, exactly. But like those are the hell verses. It's a confirmation that's bias right. in a lot of ways. That's right. It is. Um, so how do you interpret like, them? Huh? So, yeah, so I guess how do you interpret them that, that yeah, is let's, different? Let's, let's go through them one by one. Um, so let's talk about... Uh, let's start with the one that got me thinking in the first place. What prompted me to get Edward Fudge on my show 12 years ago. Um, Mark 9:48. So I'm going to pull this up and read from the ESV. Um, I'm not a proponent of any particular translation. Um, beginning at verse 47, Jesus says, uh, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell or Gehenna, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, for some reason, uh, what believers in eternal torment hear when they come to this verse is where they don't die yeah. and the fire never dies out. That's what they mm -hmm. hear. But what people a lot are often missing is that Jesus is not coming up with that language on his own. You can even see the quotation marks in the ESV. He's quoting something. And what it turns out he's quoting is Isaiah 66, 24. And listen to this. And actually, I'm going I'm to back up in Isaiah 66 to, uh, and read a few of the other verses leading up to it. In verse 16, By fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain, killed, executed, by the Lord shall be many. And then we get to verse 24 after a few verses, and it, and, and it talks about how the righteous are going to, um, from new moon and, to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, will come before the Lord and worship him. And then in verse 24, it says, and they, that is the righteous, shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched. So notice, Jesus is quoting from a scene not in which people are consciously suffering pain, but rather a scene in which God's enemies have been rendered corpses. Yeah, it's and not what's a prison, happening it's to a them is that maggots are eating up those corpses, and their work of consuming those corpses will not be, be stopped. And their fire shall not be quenched. Quench doesn't mean die out. It means put out. And what happens when you fail to put out a fire? It eventually completely burns up. So the picture is about the corpses of God's enemies being unable, you can't stop them from being completely devoured by maggot and by fire. Okay, so, so this, can, can I put a little pushback in, in there? Yeah, please, absolutely. So one of the, the things that I was thinking of when I was thinking about this idea of like consuming fire was the burning bush, <laughs> you know, like mm. the the branch wasn't consumed like god's fire doesn't always do that action that's absolutely right it does not but check this out um in 
Matthew, uh, let me find it here really quick. Um, in Matthew 3.12, and there are other places like this, John the Baptist says of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, I'm getting to a point here. Um, the word burn in the ESV does not just mean burn. The word burn, the kind of burning that could go on for on and on and on and on and on. The Greek word for that kind of burn is kayo. But the word that John the Baptist uses here in Matthew 3.12 is katakayo. It's, a, it's an emphasis word. It means burn completely. Mm. Now, what's interesting about this word is that that exact same, both of those two exact same Greek words, kayo meaning burn and katakayo meaning burn up, both of those words are used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament known as the Septuagint in the account of the burning bush. When, when the text says that when Moses saw the bush, he marveled because the bush was kayo, but it was not katakayo. It was burning, but it was not burned up. So you're right. God God can use God can have miraculous supernatural fire that does not burn stuff up. But what does it will not that does not katakayo stuff. But what does what does John the Baptist say? That Jesus will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Sweet. We need a better English word for burn then. Like we, <laughs> we need we need one of those burn burninate, like Trogdor. <laughs> yes. Okay. Burninate? I love it. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, if, if you're the dam, you're burninated. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you just say burn up instead of burn. And in fact, even though the ESV uses the word burn there, the NASB and some other translations use burn up. So the point is just to say this picture of fire that won't be quenched, burning dead bodies of God's enemies, is not a picture of people suffering in hell it's a people it's a picture of god having destroyed and slain his enemies and then gotten rid of their remains that is not the doctrine of eternal torment mm -hmm. that's the doctrine of conditional immortality and annihilationism and it's in the very verse one of these very verses that believers in eternal torment so often press into service of their view okay any other questions on mark 948 or do we want me to go on to the next one yeah let's move on keep the train rolling all right well, let's talk about um, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. I'm not actually going to go a verse earlier than that. So, uh, beginning partway through verse 7, Paul says um, that, the G that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, for two reasons, believers in eternal torment think they see their view in this verse. One of those two reasons is the phrase eternal destruction. What they would say, the, the argument they often level at people like me is, if destruction means what you think it means, then there's no point in saying it's eternal. That would be like, that would be redundant. 
if destruction just means to be annihilated forever, then wh why would you call that eternal? Well, because but I we guess don't think it's not coming back. It's final. It's ultimate. That's right. So the, the very doctrine of resurrection that we've talked about in the course of our conversation is proof that destruction isn't always eternal. We, we will be destroyed in the sense of dying or being killed at the hands of a mass murder or, or whatever, but we will one day come back from that destruction. Whereas Paul is saying here that the destruction of the wicked in hell will be forever. They will never come back. The second reason that they think they see the, the, the doctrine of eternal torment here is because a lot of translations play fast and loose with the Greek. The text that I read you says, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And the picture it gives you is that God has sort of separated the wicked to some other place, and there they will suffer eternal destruction. Um, but that's not what the text says. The, the words away from translate a single Greek preposition. Prepositions, in case if anybody's listening that doesn't know, are words like for, to, in, Right? They're, they're words that anticipate another word to relate two concepts together. And the preposition just means from. It doesn't mean away from, it just means from. And if you imagine a ship blown from the water, you don't think that it is separated from the water and then blown up. You think it is just, it's being blown up is what separates it from the water. And there are other ways to understand it's no it as longer well. a boat. <laughs> it's no longer a boat. It's no wood. It's just floating wood. Yeah, it's flotsam <laughs> right. and jetsam, right? Yeah. So, so the, 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 the doctrine of eternal torment doesn't find any purchase here. But, of course, that doesn't mean it makes it my a proof text for me. But here's the thing. Um, this, when, when Paul says that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance, he's using... Uh, Greek words that appear together in only one place in the whole Bible. And that's in the Septuagint translation of the text we looked at a moment ago, Isaiah 66. If you go to verse 15, behold, the Lord will come in fire, his chariots like the whirlwind, the chariots are a reference to his angelic host, mm -hmm. to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. It's all that same language that Paul uses. But, of course, the picture is of God slaying his enemies. And that's what Paul is talking about here, which is why just a few verses later at the beginning of chapter 2, he talks about how um, the man of lawlessness will, lawlessness will be um, brought to nothing when Christ appears. He will be destroyed. So 2 Thessalonians 1.9 not only isn't a proof, case, a proof text for eternal torment, it's a proof text for annihilationism. Um. Shall I move on to the next one? Yeah, give her, man. All right. Um, the next one, this is probably one of the most popular, is the combination of Matthew 25, 41, and verse 46. So in verse 41, this is this is part of Jesus's, some people think it's a parable, the, par the so-called parable of the sheep and the goats, but there's no evidence it is, in fact, a parable. Um, he just likens the people in his story to sheep and to goats. He doesn't actually say... He's using metaphorical the, language, not this is a story teaching a different point. Exactly, right. Um, in fact, what he literally says is that the king will separate one from the other the way that a shepherd sh separates sheep from goats, right? So, but anyway, so in this judgment scene, Jesus says that the king will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the picture that believers in eternal torment think that they 
uh, are seeing there is the picture of people writhing in agony in fire that that keeps on burning for eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and like if the were... classic hell scene, right? That's right. Like that's the one and that shows up in four... the meme. It shows up in TV shows. Like that is that's quintessential hell. That's right. That's right. And that's what they think they see there. And then in verse 46, these will go away to eternal punishment. These will go into eternal life. Well, both life and punishment are both equally said to be eternal. So if you make one not eternal, believers in eternal torment think, then you can't have eternal life either, right? Yeah, so you're you're messing up with the divine balance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, so with that in mind, why do these two verses not support the doctrine of eternal torment? Well, let's start with eternal fire first. Eternal fire, is. this is not the first time Jesus uses this phrase. He actually uses it earlier in Matthew 18, 8 and 9. He says in Matthew 18, 8 and 9, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life, crippled or lame, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Now I'm going to pause for a moment. Notice what he's saying. He's saying it's better to continue living maimed, than to go whole over here. What is the implication that you won't keep on living there? Mm. Right? But he goes on. He says, if your, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. And here the word Gehenna is used. Now, the reason why that's relevant is because, not only because Gehenna is the word that's translated hell throughout the Gospels, but also because this word Gehenna is an illusion to the Old Testament place, known the place that even still exists to this day near Jerusalem, called the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. Mm-hmm. And this valley was a place where evil Israelites and other people would sacrifice their children and fire. Um, but, but listen to what Jeremiah 7, 30, uh, 30 and following says, because this is going to give you the picture above the Valley of the Son of Hinnom that the word Gehenna is alluding to. Jeremiah 7.30 says, The sons of Judah have done evil in my sight. They've uh, set detestable things in the house that is called by my name. They've built the high places to Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's where we get Gehenna from. Uh, To burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, the days are coming when it will no more be called the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth because there is no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies, the corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. The picture is you've got people, uh, and you see this in at least one place in the Old Testament, somebody whose loved one has died and there's nobody to bury him right now. So she sits and protects his body from the beasts and the birds that are trying to feed on the meat. And he eventually, she eventually, she she's able to stave off those beasts until people do arrive and take the body away to be properly buried. But what God is saying here in Jeremiah seven is, you there, you won't be able to stop the scavengers from completely eating up corpses. So this is the picture that the word Gehenna alludes to, and it's exactly in line with what he said in verse eight that you want to enter life, even if it means being maimed rather than die. Is, okay. Is that I really do see that more as a, a metaphorical language as opposed to a literal language when it comes to uh, it, it wasn't me it was my left eye it's very atomistic if you look at what they were what Adam talked about it wasn't me it was the woman that you gave me it wasn't my foot that went in it's that foot's fault 
where I, I really don't think it, I don't view it as a literal thing, uh, but a more of a metaphorical. Stop blaming these little parts of your life and these parts of your body and and even the main language. But, but to the to but, the point of what hell is though, like that doesn't really change. Well, it kind of yeah. it it, it kind of changes the way that that you can they can use anyone can use it really if somebody's using that as a okay this proves that uh, hell is eternal or not I I don't think it proves the point as much as we'd hope I I well, I'd really done. hope yeah <laughs> okay all I'm right not done, all right <laughs> so let, let me, but let but me. you hear what I'm saying when I say that I'm like ah oh, not it's a little well, I get it okay I, I I don't think these verses should be pressed alone. They're not nails in. They're not like the final nail in the coffin. But all I'm saying is that if we're gonna if we're gonna try and understand what Jesus means by eternal fire in okay. Matthew twenty five forty one, we should first look at what he uses the phrase to mean earlier. Okay. All right. Right. But there's. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't the only one to use that phrase. Jesus's brother or cousin or or whoever he is, Jude, he also uses the ver the, the phrase eternal fire. He probably got it from Jesus. And in Jude 7, listen to this, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Ooh, I like that and, one. And the parallel to Jude 7 uh, is 2 Peter 2.6, which says that by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to, an ex to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So what is eternal fire? It's not fire in which living conscious people suffer. It's fire that is coming from the very hand of God and can't be stopped and so completely kills and consumes. There's no stopping it. Yeah. So when so when Jesus says eternal fire, already he's much more leaning toward conditional immortality and annihilation language than he is eternal torment language. But now bring in verse 46. He says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, let's start with this. So, well, yeah, when I hear that, I hear, like, it, you know, and it's just, uh, it's training, I guess, but I hear you will be punished eternally, or, like, you're, you're going to experience punishment on an eternal an, basement. An, an or on, yeah, sorry, on an eternal basis. Well, and if the word were punishing, that, that would be a good argument, right? If it says eternal punishing... Well, then there might be something going on there, but the word is punishment, and we'll come back to that in a moment, because that's where there's some additional data to talk about. But the thing before we get there, what I want to observe is that it's either eternal punishment or eternal life. So what's the only kind of punishment that does not include living forever? Die. Being dead. Yeah. Dying forever. Hmm. So... Is there a sense in which the punishment of death can be eternal? And absolutely it can. For, it, for there's, a, there's, a, there's an obvious and totally straightforward explanation and then a slightly more um, uh, nuanced one. The, easy, the, the simple way to put it is, look, if the punishment is death and the wicked are killed and they remain dead forever, then how long has their punishment lasted? Forever. Right? That's obvious. But for people that want to push back on that because of the phrase eternal punishment, um, at least as far back as Augustine, who is no friend of my view of hell, um, as far back as that, in fact, well, anyway, that's one other thing. He says in his book, The City of God, that if uh, that, that 
governments around the world don't measure capital punishment, the duration of it, in how long it takes to die. If they did, then the punishment of the death penalty would last a few moments, and that would be a far more merciful penalty than, say, 10 years in prison. Right? No, he says, we don't measure the duration of capital punishment in how long it takes to die. He says, we measure the duration of capital punishment in how long one remains dead. Mm. Hmm. So if the punishment is capital punishment then the duration of it isn't measured in how long it takes to die, but rather how long you remain dead. And if you remain dead forever, having been slain in hell, then it is an eternal punishment. And that is such a better contrast to eternal life, because it's one or the other. Not, but not, It's either eternal life or eternal punishment and eternal life, right? Yeah. It's, it's eternal life or eternal punishment. Do you ever feel like some of the languages and, and discussions and debates that you find yourself having are a, a uh, debate on semantics and language and understanding of the language? Or or is it actual mostly interpretation of scripture? Because some, sometimes when I'm listening to you, some of your debates, I have listened to your podcast, I have listened to some debates when you were on uh, oh, I don't remember the name of it now, but there was Unbelievable and other ones, and it, it did seem sometimes as if you were not actually debating ideas, but you, uh, you were debating semantic language and your understanding of the language that, that, that was used in, in Greek and all these things that you're talking about. Do you... I mean, maybe to a small extent, um, there, it certainly is the case that sometimes we argue about the meanings of, the, of words in the original language. So, for example, that word unquenchable that I used earlier from mm -hmm. Matthew 3.12, that Greek word asbestos, um, it, some believers in eternal torment argue, no, it means never dies out. Um, and you just have to read Matthew 3.12 and see that that's those, not what it means. Those conversations are important to nail down some of those semantic <laughs> things because you can talk so far past each other unless you know what the words you're saying mean. I mean, we did a whole That's podcast right. on that. Like, oh, we, we did, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you know, you can have a conversation with somebody. If you're using the same words, thinking you both mean the same thing by them, you're going to be nonsensical to each other. So like, sometimes you, you have to get into the nitty-gritty of that stuff. Or sometimes you're That's using true. a word that the person wants to use, and they mean the same thing. Like, you might be agreeing with somebody. My father and brother did this all the time, where they'd literally be yelling at each other but agreeing, and they didn't know. Oh, agree fighting. Just, yeah, agree. That's the best. <laughs> they were fighting. Yeah. But they had no idea that they were agreeing if they would just shut up and actually listen to one another. Not one or the other, just both of them shut up and actually listen. It was like, oh, you guys actually agree on a lot of this. You just, you can't, you're not listening. You're too busy talking. True. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, from what some of the things I was listening to, it was it was a lot of, uh, like, eternal life. Like, this guy's like, oh, yeah, you have eternal life when you're you're living. But if you're in hell, you don't, you don't have eternal life. It's like, well, you... According to okay, eternal well, torment, you have okay, eternal so life. There, there's an interesting thing. Eternal life. Like, isn't that something that was actually held back from us in Genesis 3? Like, as God was kicking Adam and Eve out of, out of the garden, you know, like, okay, he said, yeah, they're like us. They, they ate of the tree of good and, of good and evil. The knowledge of good and yeah, evil. Yeah, but we're going to prevent them of eating of the tree of life. Like, so why do we assume that, you know, like... E eternal immortality is a given when that's something that's actually held back from us like right from the get-go tradition yeah. I mean, good enough for me let's keep it that way yeah like you know uh 
in, in Revelation, then that tree of life shows up again as something being given to God's children. So, you know, if that's something that was held back from us when we sinned and given to us when we enter glory at, at the end of time, then why do we assume the damned also have that? Yeah, and, it, and it's really explicit. Uh, the text you're referring to, Genesis 3, 22 and 23, has God saying, lest man reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then the narrator cuts God off and says, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. So the very, his exclusion from the garden was for the express purpose of preventing him from continuing to live forever by continuing to have access to the tree of life. So then what would it mean for the tree of life to reappear at the other end of the Bible in the closing chapters of Revelation, if only the saved have access to its fruit. It would suggest that they're the ones who get to go on living forever. Exactly. Yeah, so that's a, it's a really nice bookend. <laughs> well, it's, as I've said, I've said the proof for conditional immortality is literally from cover to cover in Scripture, because it's in Genesis 3 and again in Revelation 21, 22. So. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. Now we are... And... and, and trust me when I say that in the 10 or so minutes we've got left, it, it probably we're not going to be able to get... Um, 20 or 30 minutes, you mean? <laughs> well... Hey, we'll I, I'll, I'll just ride. keep you on as long as I physically... Like, dude, how often do we get a chance to chat with a guy like you? I'm <laughs> well, just, I'll, I'll come you, back again. I've got problem. four kids upstairs, too. The fact that they're as quiet as they are, and, like, they're 10 and under, so they're like hellions at this point. Well, <laughs> I, so, just to be clear... When I said all four of my sons still live at home, I wasn't suggesting they were all, you know, school-age kids. My no. oldest is 21. Really? My second son is 17, and then my third is 13, and then 9. And it's the 13 and 9-year-olds who are about to have a sleepover. And, and the other thing is, too, I hope we're not all the 21-year-old. That's a... <laughs> What's that? I hope not the 21-year-old. Yeah, we, we would certainly not let him have a sleepover. Uh, yeah, and, and if, if for no other reason than that we wanted to get his get his ass out of our house. That's know? right. <laughs> so, but uh, but anyway, all I was going to say was we probably it probably wouldn't behoove us to go into Revelation fourteen and twenty here. But what I will say is number one, I'd be happy to come on and continue the discussion or talk yeah. about anything else in the future. But number two, if people want to see how that even even Revelation fourteen and twenty are better support for this view than for the Doctrine of Eternal Torment, people can go to the Rethinking Hell YouTube channel and just scroll down the list of videos until they find a video that's called Hell and the Book of Revelation with William Tanksley, um, which is my co-host of that episode because we wrote a paper together. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, people will see what I'm talking about. But but hopefully Mark 9, <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, and Matthew 25, 41, 46 yeah, have like given you've, people... You've provided a fair bit of, of yeah. textual backup for your position. I mean, I well, guess... And notice, and notice it wasn't texts that usually comprise a, a positive case for annihilationism, right? I used the Doctrine of Eternal Torments proof text for this case. Now yeah. imagine if I brought in Matthew 10, 28 and all sorts of other verses, destroy both body and soul in hell. And yeah. then on and well, on. Well, the body goes, the, so. the Bible constantly yeah. talks about, do not fear the one who can destroy your, uh, destroy just the body, but can it also destroy your soul. And I'm like, hmm, how do you, how do you round that square? That circle. Like uh, it's I just to the don't point know. where you have to use that death, destroy language seriously. When the Bible says it, it means it, I guess. <laughs> Like, like otherwise, you're kind of you're you're kind of doing like to to paint it another way. Like you you have to do some mental gymnastics 
in order to make death not death. The second yeah. death not death. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think people are just constantly trying to make the argument for we need people to come to Jesus through fear or, or love, but just as long as they come to Jesus, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so if they need to use the most dramatic, horrible language possible to scare people into heaven, and I'm like... I mean, it's almost like it's almost like the like the inverse like of the of the emotional argument. Like you know, people say, "Well, you can't." It's an emotional argument to say that God's going to be merciful and annihilate when really hell. But it's almost like in an inverse of that, where like in emotion, you're trying yeah. to hold on <laughs> to, you're, this, you're, to you're, this torment thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's you're kind of falling into the same mental trap. You know, if you're not going to the text or if you're not taking words seriously you're just but no this is the way it's always been like that that's an emotional trap too all right so i mm. i since we don't have a lot of time i'd like to get to a couple well, at least one question that i have but i wanted you to do a question first because otherwise it's i'll just, tell you what I'll, I'll give you 15 more minutes oh okay <laughs> Devin, you want to do yours first okay. oh but i don't have questions i'm oh. winging it brother oh, you're, you know you had one i know you, you did you can't put but it uh, like John Epps question, all that stuff, but we can, we can do mine first. All right. So with the annihilationist view of, uh, I want to call it temperamental torment <laughs> because if we're not going to talk about immediate, I, I don't know what kind of torment there would, what you believe, because I still haven't gotten a, a firm, not the universalist of everyone goes to heaven. Well, simultaneously, not the eternal torment. Uh, do you believe that there is going to be a temporal one? Uh, I don't, that's a quick yes or no. I I don't know your view on that, or you think it's going to be like a holding cell communist Russia of Stalin coming as like, all right, your turn, and they just get a firing team to execute the non-believers or people who didn't do it, or is it going to be some level of torment? Just a really quick one. On that. Uh, I'm of I'm of the belief that that whatever torment there will be is the is the psychological torment of knowing that you're about to be killed forever. And number two, the pain experienced by virtually all forms of capital punishment. Hmm. So take, for example, compare, for example, the electric chair and the firing squad. Yeah. The firing squad, if I'm not mistaken, is very fast and, and painless, right? You've got, if you have 10 trained shooters pointing rifles at your heart and they shoot them at the same time, it's lights out, yeah. right? Um, but compare that to the electric chair. Well, that produces a lot of writhing brutal. and agony on the way out, right? Yeah. Well, they're both the same punishment, though. They both inflict the punishment of death. Yeah. But one is experienced much more terribly than the other. And that's my view, is that the, whatever physical pain there will be, will be an artifact of the capital punishment process. Okay. All right. So, uh, with that, um, and then I have a, an, uh, the actual question I wanted to get to for that was, uh, what's the incentive to do good for a nihilist? I, I'm personally, I'm at peace with death and destruction of my soul. Uh, I'm not cruel with eternal torment, but also I don't fear hell because of my faith. So my question would be, for a Christian nihilist, somebody who believes in Christ will simultaneously kind of, as a 
Calvinists are predetermined of uh, if I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven. If I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell. It doesn't really matter on my decisions here on earth. I'm, it's predetermined, and I'm at peace with my soul being destroyed because as much as I love life, I'm just so fucking tired, and I'd be fine with not a nihilist. I, I believe in Christian nihilism. I do. Ecclesiastes preaches it pretty good, and. What's the incentive then to, to do it, to, to th- strive for that as, as, as if you believe in uh, a short-sighted view of hell? When you believe that, okay, no, that there is going to be a hell there, but it's going to be short. Or it's going to be immediate or it's going to like this psychological. Well, if somebody sees and has inner peace and understanding that, yes, this suffering is now, just like we have suffering on earth now... I'm at peace because I know later there will not be any. Well, the same thing with eternal torment. If I know that there's not going to be eternal torment, I can have peace in that. Well, so there's about 1,800 questions wrapped up in the one there. <laughs> so See, I told you. I'll try to get to address it as well as I can. Um, I don't expect perfect. It's just my thought. That's, that's okay. all. <laughs> Number one, um, if you're a Christian, as you said, that this hypothetical person is a Christian nihilist. Well, then you, you're, then it's not your, your peace in the face of death isn't merely because the suffering of this life will come to an end at some point. The reason why you as a Christian are at peace with death is because you know that one day you'll come back to life. So, so number one, if a non-Christian is standing before the judgment throne and they know that their death will be forever. They will never come back to life. But they could have. So that's another thing. Nihilists and and atheists that have convinced themselves that they're at peace with death, which, by the way, I call bullshit. I don't think anybody's (laughs) really truly at peace with their death. Um, it's, it's, it's It's a defense mechanism. We're able to talk ourselves into it because the prospect of dying is so terrifying. But we can have that debate another day. Um, the point is, uh, a, a, an atheist right now might be at peace with his or her impending demise because there is no other alternative. You make your peace with what you know is going to happen, and and that's it. But when such a person is raised from the dead, they're going to face a god and and realize, oh, I could have lived forever. But instead, I chose my sin and I chose to give God a big fuck you, you know, to, uh, and 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 yeah. So now I miss out on life forever. That is not nobody's going to be so, at peace so with that, that. So I, that I, moment I, is going to be a, a real gut check. That's right. Yeah, I now, think I don't know. I think I think there's a little there's bit no- of projection on the not fearing death. I I hope and pray that I have somebody that I fear pain more than any. I ride a motorcycle, so every time I go around a corner, I know that but there could be Christian. death. Around. Yes, I have. That's the that's the that's the I can't know really for certain. <laughs> I, I, right. I project like I do, but I can't because I have faith and I know where I'm going. I'm I'm really not worried about it. <laughs> well, but if it were true that you weren't worried about it at all. Um, and, and if that were true of even a significant portion of the population, you wouldn't have po- uh, uh, successful movies like the Saw movies or all sorts of other horror movies where the where the worst imagine the worst thing that happens is people get slaughtered. Right? Yeah. These are popular and these are successful because we can relate to them. Think about the whole oh, we premise fear pain. of the Saw movie. What we don't we don't fear death, we fear pain. 
But no, but that's agree. that's that's not the premise of Saw though, because people are enduring pain, like for even life. even self-inducing it for the prospect of life. It's, that's they're, right. They're clinging to life tooth and nail despite pain. Yeah. That's right. Or take or take that movie 127 hours. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. Uh, James uh, Franco. James Franco. Yeah, where he cuts off his arm because he got mm-hmm. stuck in a trench. Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, that's buff. based on a true story. Yeah, that is. And and the real life guy, not only cut his arm off with like a pocket knife in order to save his life, but then like with with one arm cut off, he he repelled single handedly down a cliff face to get to safety. Such a nihilist, we, right? <laughs> yeah. No, like, no. He, he was he was holding like, on to life but, too much. He was just, like, but he was also suffering and starving. Right. Like he was going through all that for the hope of another breath, of another day. Of that's right. If all he'd wanted to do was end the pain of being hungry. Yeah, and, he could he could use that and, knife. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, now, even, even like you use the word capital punishment as a metaphor for uh, for annihilation several it's times. It's not even a metaphor. I, that's literally what it is. Yeah. But anyway, that's what you were saying. <laughs> Fair enough. As an example, let's say. Uh, <laughs> almost knocked over some water. But like, so, you know, like say the bleeding heart types when it comes to the penal system oppose capital punishment tooth fang and claw saying that it is unmerciful it's unjust nobody deserves that you need to give them a chance they live their whole life in an awful prison system you know like in some kind of way of suffering that's the merciful thing that we're as humans supposed to do but capital punishment is a step too far so it's like even even when it comes to that people are cutting against their they're they're cutting they're, they're betraying I guess their true fear which is really death, right? You want people to live even if it's even if it's in torment. You know we're what afraid do you, of death. What do you guys What do you guys know about the transhumanist movement? Uh, like the <sighs> idea the idea that people will like literally make themselves like a robot. You know, replacing biology with mechanisms or implant your consciousness into a computer so that you can go on living for forever even if it's in a digital prison. <laughs> Right, whether it's a transference of consciousness, whether it's artificial bodies, whether it's cryogenic freezing until some future point at which we can be thought out. The reality, people often think that this transhumanist stuff is like fodder for movies and stuff. But no, millions of dollars are being poured into this movement by people with lots of money in the desperate hope that they will be able to secure immortality through technology. So yeah, look, this idea that somehow eh, we can we we can take our life or leave it is just bullshit. It's that's all it is. When 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 you when especially, when, especially when you for people with it, no hope too. That's that's another part. They have no hope on the the, the after, uh, where I think it's it makes it a lot easier when you're like, oh, I got something more coming. <laughs> or well, and maybe. that's just it. Think about how beautiful our message is as Christians. We are offering. A gospel that literally will save lives. We are we are offering something to the atheists that they already deep down really want, which oh, is yeah. everlasting life. And we can actually offer that to them, but the awful prospect of denying that gospel is that you will end up facing that fate that deep down you're so terrified of. Yeah. Now, what I will say though is this. The doctrine of eternal torment, however, when you try to threaten unbelievers with that. 
most unbelievers hear that doctrine and think it's bullshit. It's crap. It's it's man-made nonsense. Yeah, that's the so, that's the you've got your you're a person on the leash <laughs> mentality. It's the meme jumping right back up. That's yeah. What, and, and people also go through this psychological thing of the double down effect, where it's like, oh, not only am I a little bit against it, now I'm twice as against it as yeah. I was before, because people do that. People. We, as humans, we have this thing of, uh, you try and put a vaccine on me. Now I'm like, okay, not only do I hate it, but I double hate it because you're having to push it. Why do you got to push it? Now I really don't trust it. I didn't trust it before, right. but now I trust it a whole lot less. And so it's this double down effect that we do in everything, uh, yeah. especially with the inter government intervention. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, you've got two competing gospels. Let's say three. Let's bring in universalism now. Mm -hmm. You've got three competing gospel messages. Two of those messages say, it doesn't matter what you do or what you believe, you're going to live forever. Um, one of them says, if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll live forever in torment. So one of them tells the atheist, oh, I can just continue disbelieving until after I die, and then I'll find out, and I can repent then. Yeah. So that gets rid of any urgency. Mm -hmm. And the doctrine of eternal torment doesn't... doesn't uh, resonate with any of their innate fears but oh. instead just well okay obviously there's the fear of pain <laughs> yeah, yeah. but that's but that's outweighed but, but by... it's, it's not recognized pain it's it's Oh my gosh! Pain. Okay, so I've been trying to figure out how to ask this question, <laughs> but, or like, what you know, what is the point of you know, what is the point of your ministry, or what is the point of of having even this conversation that we're having, like whether it's torment or whether it's, it's for fun. annihilation, like what are we doing? So I think you maybe just answered that, but one doesn't touch the innate actual fear people have. Well, that's that's exactly the point I'm getting at. Is that so it's, it, it's yeah. Okay. The, the doctrine of conditional immortality is the only one that tells somebody who already desperately wishes they could avoid death that oh yeah, you can if you place your trust in Christ. And 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 it's it's even more than that. The, the, a lot of atheists will say, "Well, I don't want to go on living forever because my loved ones will die, or because they'll you know people will still there'll still be hate and evil and nastiness in the world." Well, we're saying not only can you live forever, but you can live forever with the people you care about if they're believers as well, and there will never again be sin and pain and disease and all this. It'll be beautiful and blissful and amazing for all eternity. Even transhumanism can't offer that because transhumanism can offer the rich people technology that they can live forever with. And they're just still going to live in a world where they're them with their sin nature. <laughs> and imagine the black market that's going to yeah. arise. You're going to have hitmen going out and killing rich people that have the technology well, yeah, and then I mean, selling it on the cheap be, on the black market. It'll be like that, uh, that show Black Carbon, right? Like, or uh, Altered Carbon. Altered have you Carbon. seen that one? I never watched it, and that's just because I think I'm reluctant to watch anything with um, Channing, Channing Tatum, Tatum Chat, whatever. <laughs> no, no, Tatum. I don't think Channing Tatum is, is, is in that one. No, he's I don't not. Even, I don't even remember. Alter Carbon is uh, it's not him. Yeah, but the whole premise of the show is like this, like a transhumanistic future where you can just keep switching uh, your consciousness, consciousness to, a, yeah. to another person, to another person, to another person, keep on going. But like that, the. The world they built for that is awful. It looks like living hell. 
Like, yeah, it is just it is just the worst. Like, I wouldn't want that to be forever. Like, I don't know, I'd be the, like, all right, I'm checking out of this sucker. Nope. The, the eternal sex at the end of the last episode. I hate to ruin it, but you know, it's been out for two seasons. If you haven't seen first, oh, season. I stopped. I, it, it had too <laughs> much like nudity and gratuitousness in there for me to to be like, all right, I'm on for yeah. this program. But well, now I'm definitely I, not watching it. Well, <laughs> yeah. no, okay. So they 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 and I they, enjoy Game of they, Thrones. They, they transfer his conscious into two separate beings, so it's the same person. And it's like, oh, well, which one of us is going to go with the 10 hotties that all look the same? And so I don't remember which one went which direction, but I was like, this is dumb. Yeah, yeah it's just, okay. It was with the transhumanism, with the transhumanism, what is it to stop it? Stop you from transferring your consciousness into more than one being, or or more than three or four separate entities that that carry your your oh, you your brain? Like, you mean like you could be a hive mind? Yes, you are your own hive mind. That sounds. Friendly. That sounds horrible. I don't, I don't want to hang out with me. I don't even listen to my own <laughs> podcast. I'm sorry, but I stop listening. I'm like, oh, I should listen to me. I'm like, no, I'm fucking annoying. <laughs> I don't think that you're is annoying. Again, I haven't listened I, to any of your shows yet. So. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's listening to yourself. Let's that's keep annoying. it that way. So your, your view of us is yeah. contained within this episode. That's I'm right. sure I'll enjoy it even if I listen. <laughs> But, 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 I mean, hopefully you get the, the, my point. It, it seems to me that the gospel message is the most persuasive, the most powerful, the most resonant when it's a conditionalist gospel presentation. Oh, yeah. Now, as, as crude as we may come across at some points, it, it is funny how we still find ourselves constantly coming back to the love of Jesus, constantly coming back to the, the, the death on the cross and the resurrection. And I'm like, uh, we can't even be bad Christians very well because we're like, no, we're always pointing people to Jesus. And we're like, no, you need him. You're great. And, uh, <laughs> or he is, and he is so great and amazing because of what he did. And it's like, it, it's very interesting. Well, when, when we get to it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, when we get to it. Not, not every, not every episode, episode is about, <laughs> yeah. not, not even every episode is about theology. No. Well, uh, speaking of Jesus, though, by the way, what is, when, when he bore our penalty in our place on the cross, what was that penalty? Was it everlasting torment or was it death? <laughs> Uh, I heard many people say that he died the death that we all deserve so that we may have the life that, uh, yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, that had to be like he endured that death we could never to, live to, yeah. to conquer death. So mm. get this Christians who believe in eternal torment and penal substitution, which I believe in as well, penal substitutionary atonement. They are saying their substitute suffered death on the cross but the very death he suffered is the death that the resurrected lost will never suffer. That does not sound like substitution to me. No, that that doesn't have the it doesn't have the balance or it doesn't have the the mirroring. That's right. And that's why when you press a believer in eternal torment on this point, usually what they will do is retreat to saying that what Jesus substituted for was the was experiencing the wrath of God. Yeah, whatever whatever that manifests as. So so he could have substituted for us by dying as he did, or maybe he could suffer imprisonment for a few years, or maybe he could suffer so again, being turned squishy. into a chicken. Yeah. You know, any any kind of bad punishment that is the wrath of God, he could suffer that, and we could live forever in in, in torment. But so no, it gets, the Bible it gets says squishy Jesus again died by for us. yeah. It gets squishy again by saying death doesn't really mean death. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I uh, 
Yeah, like I said, I don't think there's many, uh, there aren't many clearer teachings in scripture than this. If we would just set aside our traditions and our biases and our presuppositions and just let the text speak for itself. I mean, what is the most famous verse in scripture, do you think? Oh, John 3.16. Tell me it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that none should perish but ever have everlasting life. Does that sound like eternal torment? No. But it also doesn't sound like Calvinism. Calvinism. Well, we could talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may have to be hell. that may have to be episode number two. Oh, I say it on a level. I'll come on and talk Calvinism with you guys sometime. But my point is just that that word, that most famous verse in Scripture, says that the alternative to living forever is perishing. All right, question: Did you know you knew I was going to say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, it. It is. It's just it the is. most famous. I hate to bring it up because I'm like, 15 is very good. <laughs> Romans 6.23 is another one. The wages of sin is... Death, but it... Yeah. But the free gift of God is in, eternal, eternal in, in Christ Jesus our Lord is eternal life. That's right. And for, so, the wages of sin is living forever. And No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. We all, it's, just, it's, it's almost as if God is in the pages of Scripture yelling at everybody reading, wake up. This is clearly what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, we are stubborn as human beings and we, we, like our, we like our comfortable traditions. We don't want those to be challenged. Yeah. So we twist and distort what we're reading in the hope yeah. of being able to hold on to what so, we've already believed. So being somebody who pushes those buttons, and especially on something that people seem to have such a vehement and emotional reactions to, what is it like working in the world of apologetics and speaking and in, in preaching and teaching and stuff like that when you hold a minority view that is such a hot button? Well, so firstly... This is. I, I've got to make this last question because I've already given you twenty minutes instead of the fifteen. I said I would. He said we were going to um, keep you as long as we could. Yeah, no, I'm putting the kibosh on, on this after this question. Okay. Uh, so it, it oh. is tough at times, especially being somebody who's conservative and wants to be in good, good, the good graces of my fellow conservatives and reformed people, etc. You know, if I were, if I were a um, uh, polyamorist, uh, liberal, Unitarian, or something like that. <laughs> I'm not going to care as much what how conservatives treat me, but I'm conservative going out there and being treated by tra or like trash by conservatives, and that's tough. But there are at least two things that make it all well, three things that make it worth the effort. One, um, defend becoming known for being one of the best defenders of a minority view in the world comes with a certain degree of notoriety and it allows me to people are interested in hearing what somebody has to say if they are kind of at the front they're the, like the one of the leaders in a movement right so and, and as somebody who wants to teach full-time one day and get published more ha having notoriety isn't necessarily a, a bad thing so that's one thing secondly the community of conditionalists is in is is just amazing and we're all over the world we're in all sorts of denominations and churches and we hold to all sorts of different views on other topics but we're there for each other even if only virtually online um 
on this topic. And so we, we as a ministry have heard from people that have been fired from their ministries or from their churches, or they've been kicked out from being members of their churches. And, and we support them and, and we, we not necessarily financially, we don't make hardly any money, but, but we do support them emotionally. We <laughs> Emotional, we try to help plug them into a community where they can start to make some friends who think like they do on this topic. So you can so, literally so lose a job and a career for this. Like huh? a, a, a person who believes in conditional mortality can lose a career or a job. Oh, you yes. Big really? Time. Big like, time. See, oh, yeah. I, I find this to be a very open hand issue that uh, there are many things like. Uh, the flood. I find that to be a very open hand issue. Uh, heck, even creationism. I believe that to be an open hand issue. But you you know people who have literally get, lost their jobs over. Hell. It's not just losing their jobs. It's getting kicked out of churches. Um, my best friend was devastated when I convinced him of conditionalism, and he was honest with his pastor about it, and they kicked him out. Um, you know, I about being I, honest with your pastor. There are people who are pastors or who are professors who literally have to keep quiet about what they believe for fear that others will find out and they'll end up getting fired for it. So, yeah, it happens a lot yeah. for some reason. Well, truth has skin in the but, game. What? Well, truth always has skin in the game, right? There's, some, there's yeah, something that well, costs. Yeah, that's true. All right, to avoid but, rejection from you, we're just going to allow you to... Do you have any... Okay, you got the Rethinking Hell podcast, which I have listened to for a long time, and then I'm like, oh, I can't keep thinking about hell. And <laughs> stop listening. I apologize. Okay. But you haven't listened to any of ours, so I'm not going to feel that. Uh, that's right, you should. So you, <laughs> you got the Rethinking Hell uh, Instagram, Twitter, any of that stuff that you want to plug for yourself? Yeah, so we've got RethinkingHell.com is the website. We've got a podcast there. We also have a um, every other week live stream on YouTube. If people go to YouTube.com slash RethinkingHell, they can find that. Um, but the website that I really want people to take away from this as well is ChrisDate.info because there I've got all of my journal articles available. I've got a you know blog post and I've got every interview I've done or almost every interview I've done or debate that I've done on this and other topics is all available in a really easy to navigate way at chrisdate.info. So if people just remember Rethinking Hell and chrisdate.info, I think they can find me pretty easily. All right, perfect. Right. We'll, that is we'll, awesome. We'll let you go. We kept you way too long already. Thank you <laughs> so much. Okay. That's okay. I've really very much enjoyed it, and I mean it when I say I'd be happy to come on anytime. Just reach out to me. And like I said, this is our very first Zoom, so you got to like end your own so him and I can like shoot the shit. And we don't edit, edit anything, so we're not going to do anything thing to take you out of context because i don't know how to edit so <laughs> i i don't mind and i and i was even comfortable using swear words occasionally knowing that that's the kind of show you do so no uh, worries at all. again thank you so much i look forward to having you on again but next time we're going to talk about i don't know bourbon or I'd, what else are you into because I like well, motorcycles like I said, and I had MMA. To quit drinking about ten years ago, and what other things I'm into probably aren't appropriate for conversation here. Um, but when I drank, <laughs> <They might be. laughs> when, when I drank, um, the thing is, is that I didn't drink for the flavor. I drank to get shit faced drunk, and that was the problem. It got to the point where blacking out drunk was more common than not. That's and um, yeah, I just had to give it up. So. But. If 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 uh, we'll we'll be in contact if we find a little subject or even just to have you on again just for shits and giggles and just to chat like I I feel like we went into this as dudes we're not going into it as like oh we're gonna debate it's like no we're gonna fucking yeah. talk and so I've really enjoyed having your company and I look forward to having you on again and 
Yeah, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Uh, we're going to try and promote this, and if you could do us a solid and promote us, that'd be great, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Time. As soon as you publish this, it'll it, be on my chrisdate.info website, and I'll also post it on social media and all that. And and I and the feeling is very mutual. I've very much enjoyed it. You you both are great, and I, I'm i sure we'd enjoy each other's company in person someday, yeah. Lord willing. Oh, Lord willing. You come up to Canada, it's really easy. I go to the States, they, like, frisk me again, and... <laughs> I'm never in the mood, and they always say I don't know you have why. to. I don't know why it is, but every time you step into a, an airport, you suddenly look like a terrorist. Though. <laughs> every it's true. single time. <laughs> he got, okay, we were flying to Newfoundland. Really quick story. We were flying to Newfoundland. He got randomly selected uh, to be uh, searched, and then he's like, hold on, sir, to me, who's right behind him. It's like, oh, you got to reset the machine, and then I got randomly selected as well. Oh, so, man. It's it's our life. It's all right. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. again, all right, man. We'll let thank you, go. you so you much. Bless. God bless. Welcome, we'll talk again, to you thanks later. Thanks for having me. I look forward to talking again. Yeah. Right, awesome. Bye. And Holy. it's just us two again. Holy shit. He's a good dude. Yeah. I know. I, I he, didn't really know what to expect. He's a lot. He's as smart as I thought he'd be. <clears throat> I'm like, ah. Uh, oh, he, <laughs> he was pulling out references like. Oh, yeah. Like he's nothing. done this before. Uh, yeah. It's not first rodeo. I mean, yeah, I mean, my memory just sucks to oh. begin with. I don't know. Maybe his sucks just as bad, but he's like had this conversation so oh, many probably times. So many times. That's why I'm right like, there. hey, we should have him on. I, you the know, thing I, is, you and I, we specialize in jack shit. <laughs> 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 we, we don't spend enough time thinking about no. any one thing to have that just knowledge in there. Yeah. And the things we did is like, oh, well, the, uh. How many gears are on my bike? Mine are five. Yours is, is five now. It used to be four. <laughs> that, that was our was thing. Great. Power bands. I'm like, all right, good. I know where my power band is. <laughs> I can teach you how to ride a motorcycle real good. That'll probably get you killed. It will get most people killed. So you do not ride like us. Fuck, we have a camera. I got to use that. This is so weird. I don't like it. I mean, it's... it's. <laughs> How do people when, do this? They just sit there and talk about the... Stare. Oh, and just look at the camera. Well, when, when he was here, because it was like we were looking <laughs> we're at looking the camera. At, we were making we're looking eye at contact Chris. connection. Yeah, you're looking at Chris. But now, you know, my temptation is to, like, turn sideways oh, again. Yeah. and Because you and, and I always shoot the shit when we're... We're just you know. going to go like this and be like, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> Sorry, we don't talk to cameras. We talk to each other. This is weird. I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, we but have no, Ricky Bobby syndrome. It was a really good time. See, I didn't know where he would line up in a lot of areas. He's nope. from fucking Washington. I'm like, oh. You know what's huh. funny, though, was your, your gun thing. Like, it was like it was so true, right? Yeah. If, if you like guns, well, I know we're going to have something in common. He <laughs> whipped <laughs> Sure enough. Fucking A. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, all right, cool. I know that we're going to have this amount in common. And, and sure as shit. Yeah, we did. Where if you say you're a Christian, I'm like, okay, we we got 10% at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you believe in Jesus and part of the Bible. But if you pull out a gun, we know that there's more. We know that there's more percentage there. We're looking at a 60-40 at minimum. Yeah, minimum 60-40, upwards of 90. <laughs> so, oh, what a great time. Yeah. I hope do you, you do guys... You have, are, do you have anything else that you want to, like wax philosophical about now that he's not on the on the thing because like before i was just like listening i was doing a lot more listening i don't know if you noticed but i did not talk a lot in this one because i'm like shit like, neither of us he did, was man. talking he was talking well 
Like he was speaking very, very well. And I'm like, okay, he knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to listen and learn. The thing is I've listened to his podcast. I've seen, heard some of this stuff before. And he did bring up some other things. Well, simultaneously. Okay, so you know, what, you know what I love about his podcast? Hmm. <laughs> well, what I what I discovered I loved about it today, because I revisited it, like just like you. Like I, I was into it for a, a while and then stepped away because I was like, I just can't. Keep thinking about it. I can't it. keep thinking about it. <laughs> I got other interests that I want to explore. But when I went back to it today, his intro hit, like with the, the screaming and wailing and the sound oh, of yeah, fire. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and my first instinct was like, oh, man, this would make a killer intro to like a black metal song. And then, of course, the guitars kind of hit. There's like a, you know, thing. It's like, okay, yeah, the metal thing there. But then I was like, oh, my gosh, no, it doesn't sound like screaming. It doesn't sound like hell. It sounds like you're on a roller coaster with a bunch of preteen girls. <laughs> and then and then I thought, fuck, is that, is, is that is what hell that is? What hell is? You're stuck on a roller coaster with that pre-adolescent oh, annoying screaming. bitches. Yeah, that, that prepubescent <laughs> screaming of gravity. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. Repent, repent, repent. <laughs> that is a scary, scary hell scenario. That, that sounds like worse than hell. That, yes. that sounds like hell 2.0. Hell 2.0 is being stuck... In Disneyland, with a gaggle of preteen <laughs> girls all screaming at the top of their lungs you on see, a roller coaster. You see, that sound that sounds worse than the execution, the psychological torment. That sounds like psychological. Now, imagine <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to be executed, but with a bunch of like teenage girls screaming simultaneously. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I got a kick out of that. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, no, I, I was listening to his. I, the thing is, I didn't remember that that's who it was. I was just listening to his podcast. I wasn't like, oh, Chris Date. So when somebody dropped his name into our, into our, um, I don't know. Into our Facebook page. Into our Facebook yeah. page. Oh, there's a better. Yeah, you just saw it. You were like, oh, yeah, okay. There's somebody. There's this guy. And then somebody's like, the more I looked, I'm like, oh, that's the guy. Because I think you introduced me to the Rethinking Hell initially. Maybe I I started listening to it back in like 2017, like right yeah. when I was right when I was an apostate. Yeah. Because like, okay, we we recorded an episode called, you know, deconstruction. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. And <laughs> since we did that episode, I have made a conscious decision to not use the word deconstruction, and I'm trying to find the right thing. There's just. Like you said earlier, we need better words in our English language. Better words for things. Because like, I don't like that that word because it just it makes me think of French postmodernism. Well, it it carries a lot of baggage with it too, right? You you can't use the word. Oh, you're one of those deconstructed Christians. What do you you know? Like it's 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 it carries with it a certain amount of. You know, and unfortunately, with a lot of of lefty garbage. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, like you're like it's like the word if problematic. You, you say problematic, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like oh, I. <laughs> when I was deconstructing, it's like oh, so you thought that you were smarter <laughs> than two thousand years of of, you know, Christian tradition, and you could just pick it apart because you're that dang smart. Oh yeah. Oh you. Th- <laughs> Oh, you thought that you could you you thought you could figure out the essence of God and eternity because you asked a couple questions and and, and it started to feel like you didn't know what you believed anymore. Just so condescending to before before your pre your pre enlightenment, right? Like it's it it's it's one of those words. It's just it is postmodern. Like oh that, yeah, it's they own it now. Yeah, 
And yes, and just technically it. speaking, it was a period of taking apart, examining belief, and figuring out what I believed or where I was at. But at the same time, I don't identify with that. It's not my identity. Well, the problem is that it is the perfect word, but it's the baggage that carries with it. If we, if you could call it a reexamination and it be as true to what you're saying, when you're rebuilding a house, you don't call it a reexamination. You call it a, yeah. so you go through a phases of deconstruction yeah. no, and reconstruction. I'm playing with the word apostasy because <laughs> apostasy is a really good technical term, but it is for somebody who has left the faith. And I never quite got there. Yeah. I never got to the point. He never became an apostate. I was, yeah, I was an apostate where I was like, nope, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm out. You know, like, even though I wanted to say that, even though I technically didn't believe any of the things, I wasn't willing to let go. (laughs) Like, there was, if there was any one thing that I felt I could hold on to, tooth, fang, and claw, I was going to. And I never didn't identify as a Christian. So I was like, I guess I wasn't an apostate, but. Dang, was it close? It was like oh a, yeah, it was I, I a remember. serious flirtation with it. I remember. But I just I, I hate that dang word deconstruction. Screw it. Screw Derrida well, it, it, and, and all okay. that. Okay, <laughs> it it is like the okay. I know it's not the same level and it doesn't have the same consequence, but l- millennial. I fucking hate that word because it just carries this entitled bitchiness that goes along with it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I think I identify far closer to the Gen X, even though I missed it by like four years or whatever. I, but I, you have but to, we get everything late in Canada. Exactly. It's really <laughs> You get everything late in Canada, even later the further north you live. That's so right. So if you, if you adjust for location, we're 100% Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> and if you feel like we're abandoning you for being a millennial... Fucking rights we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You need, you need okay. to be okay with it. Okay, brother. Oh, I'm not. Camera. Oh, frame yourself. Frick. Power of thirds. There I'm just going to sit here. You, you just kept drifting further and further, further <laughs> away from the camera. Sorry. It's not my thing. And, we now, need... and now you're touching the microphone, making and making noise. No, I am touching the, uh, what do they call this? The, fucking... the boom. The boom. You see, I realized after the Travis Lucier um, uh, conversation, yeah. I was talking way too close to the mic and it was popping. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't sound as good. So I'm using this to force me not to get too close. And I think it's doing a great job. It is. It it's is. helping. It's, this is, I need something to keep me closer to the mic. Yeah, I keep right. getting further away and my voice gets more echoey. We'll, we'll attach your beard right to the... Oh, <laughs> that is awful and genius. Oh... Uh, <laughs> So, so do you have any, any final thoughts on, on the topic? Not really. I'm really happy to hear a little bit of his, uh, for, for a deeper into his, his view uh, of the annihilationism, because I'd like to understand. It was more nuanced than I actually thought it was going to be. I, I, I don't know. I wish there was a little more torment involved. <laughs> I think it, I think it's on a scale, really. When you, you talk about teenagers who are just dumb who die young, I, I wouldn't want them to same have the same level of torment as, let's say, hypothetically. I know everyone uses this example, but Hitler or uh, Stalin or actual horrible people. You see, those people I want to yeah, fucking or, suffer. Or, or like child rapists. Oh, child rapists? Right? I want like, them to go through absolute I, I torment. Think, I think that's maybe one of the things that emotionally binds us to the idea of torment because we're like, no, I know guys that deserve it. <laughs> like, nothing is too... As, nothing's too slow for that one. As bad as I am, fuck these people more. <laughs> 
But literally yeah, you, with a cactus sideways. We're up there. Yeah, uh, but I, I suppose for all I the suppose, viewers that have come on just for this, yeah, one. <laughs> I suppose that comeuppance could come in between <laughs> the time of your like first death and second death before you're resurrected and judged. If, yeah, because I'm trying to use I'm trying to use the the language that that Chris has. Like, yeah, of, I I should have asked what in between. Yeah. Now and I, dang it, fuck it. We needed another half hour, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> So do they do two cactus or the three cactus? Is it oh, how yeah, bad like, you are? <laughs> like little Nikki with the, the pineapple up the wazoo. <laughs> Hitler's at... <laughs> Hitler, choose the pineapple. <laughs> no, here's the other one. <laughs> now y'all need to go watch little Nikki again. Y'all uh, forgot. But in, in all seriousness, though, like I don't know if Chris would agree with what I'm about to say. <laughs> in fact, he probably would vehemently not. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm getting. I'm actually getting serious again. <laughs> okay. Yes, but oh, I thought it was going to go bad. But all right. No, there's part of the idea of of uh, annihilation or conditional mortality that I really like because, in some ways, it solves an altruism problem. Like, if if heaven is the big cookie, and hell is the big stick, like, are you truly motivated by good or evil? If you're always needing, you know, if you're always trying to avoid the eternal torment or you're always trying to look for the eternal good, right? Mm. Like you're, like, are you really making a choice for good, for good's sake? Or are you, are you trying to live a good life selfishly? Or trying well, to uh, run away? Fuck, ooh, sorry. Trying to run away one. from hell selfishly. Like, right? Like, that, okay. that's a classic philosophical dilemma. And I wonder if annihilation in some way is also a little bit of, I guess, a fixer for that. Because, like, okay, you can pursue heaven legitimately for the actual want of, of heaven, not running away from hell. Because... You know, I, I think like like what you were saying, like you can you can choose, like you know what, like terrifying, but I'm good with. I'm I'm good I'm, with the self destruction nature I'm of good hell, with, yeah, the I'm annihilation good with nature of hell. Like if you can if you can choose that, instead of being like, oh, I can't, I don't want to live in heaven with God, but I don't want that. Yeah. If you if there is that if there's that out of not existing I think does it make does it does it actually then allow for ultimate altruism and that, that's what I'm more concerned with is the the that nature of it the whole coming to peace with it and being like okay no uh, okay uh, there are a lot of people out there like serial killers and just high conscientious people that turn into yeah. horrible people that do some horrible things but I think I think you know if if God if we're thinking if we're doing theology of knowing who God is or thinking about problems based on God's character yeah then you would have to say well, like I know God is a good and just judge so in whatever he gives that person before final judgment and annihilation they got that one coming and god's got the right thing for it yeah like why why wouldn't that be the case yeah as opposed to somebody who's just 
actually a fairly normal bloke, but still not making the cut. You know, like maybe their version of punishment is something different than what the rapist gets. Yeah. Even though ultimately they're going to face the capital ball in punishment, but that time in between, what is that? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I suppose I would the just have is, to, I, I would I, have to punt to mystery and be like, God as the best judge has got that figured out. Yeah. And that's the thing is he is, he is the ultimate judge and he is the one who determines and we need to have that trust of trust me, whatever punishment they get will, it, it, I hope that it surpasses the psychological because I think that psychologically we could turn some things off. Mm. There, there are people you talk, you look at some of the stuff that went on during uh, the Holocaust and stuff where Jews were able to, okay, I was going through horrible shit, but there was a point where they could turn it off. They could watch their wife and kids get led a different direction of them. And they knew that I can't, I can't, if I'm going to survive this, I need to just turn this shit off. And I think that, that, the soul and the mind are capable of turning off that care for even a time. And I hope that they get more than just the psychological torment because I just, for how horrible some people are, and I know that God is good and God God is just, and that whatever punishment they get is going to be equivalent to the evil life that they lived. And I'm mm. talking about actual evil, not, not, oh, I just never accepted Christ as my personal savior. Never prayed the prayer. Never prayed the prayer. Never asked Jesus into my heart. <laughs> never got wet. <laughs> never got sprinkled. Uh, and, and, and just know that God is good and he is just, and he is going to give us the pus- punishment that we deserve as non-believers <clears throat> or, yeah, I say non-believers because I feel like I'm exempt <laughs> Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I am, and I do believe he is who he says he is. And, yeah, and, and that's not to wish ill will on people who don't believe like I believe. It's to believe that he is good and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, like, for me, <laughs> you know, and again, Chris may very well disagree with this, but for me, like, I kind of have this this view of, well, to the best of my knowledge... I know where God is or I know what God wants me to do to be with him forever. But I'm not going to say for anybody else that you're, you, you didn't make the cut because, oh, no. because you're not there in the same spot that I am. Right? Oh no. Like, Cause I, there's a lot of heck. We just fucking listen to somebody who's far ahead of us in a lot of ways where imagine him saying, he's like, well, you're not where Chris date is. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, and that's that's something that I hear uh, Orthodox priests say a lot when 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 they're asked, like, do you really believe that only people in the Orthodox Church are going to go to heaven? And I like this answer being say like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying the only thing we know for sure is that the Holy Spirit is here, and this is a proven way <laughs> yeah. to you know to to have salvation. We're not saying we can say we're not saying that something else. God isn't able to do a work of salvation there. We yeah. just don't know. <laughs> that's beyond that's beyond our realm of knowledge of how that works. Yeah. It's it's just that a it's a an epistemon, epistemological is Good an epist, job. it's an epistemological <laughs> humility to say something beyond my area of expertise I'm not going to I'm not going to weigh in on. And I I, I can deal with that. Yeah. I can deal with that. I can deal with thinking that okay, 
somebody who was born somewhere who never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And, the, and that's <laughs> or, why I believe or, in the goodness and graciousness of God, or good grace of God, where there are some people who never heard and never had the opportunity. Yeah, they can have some kind of experience with God or the Holy Spirit and know, okay, there is a right way to be, there's a right way to be oriented and devoted that isn't evil and these other people that I'm with, they're doing evil things. I'm not going to be part of that. I'm not going to co-sign on that because I think that there's something higher and better. Like, they don't necessarily have to come across a Bible in order, yeah. in order for somebody to realize that the ultimate God of the universe wants better than that. Yeah. Right? And so, like, just because they don't have a church there, nobody came and sprinkled them with water. Or, yeah. You know, they didn't say a prayer. They don't have the language of Holy Spirit or Jesus or things like that. I'm not saying that that the Holy Spirit can do something with that person. Yeah. Just because they're not part of the church doesn't mean I can say that God straight can't reach to, them. Straight down. Straight down. <laughs> Born in North America in in fifteen or in in, in twelve hundred straight to hell. Straight to hell. <laughs> and and that's why have, have I have different think... color skin. Straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be. You there, there's can't... literally an island off the the coast of uh, India that has had no outside civilization influence on it for the past thousand years, and they can't go there. Otherwise, they get killed immediately. Are those people going? They haven't even had the opportunity. There's no no opportunity. The missionaries who went there, fucking dead. No opportunity to 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 hear the gospel or to to hear about Jesus or the goodness of God or any of that. They're all all of them without opportunity. That, and that's why I think it sounds very evil. The idea, the, the Calvinist idea of uh, predeterminism and and um, eternal torment. And I'm like, I that's guess, so I, evil. I guess unless. The idea of, of you know, of I guess God reaching out to save somebody is that sense of the Holy Spirit showing up in a place where they never, you know, encountered. Yeah, but that's not a personal. Enc- that's and, that's not a personal encounter. It's not like everyone oh as a monolith they all decided screw those guys. <laughs> and, and like there might have been maybe one, and they got they killed him too, so to make an example of no, you don't disagree with the tribe. I don't know. I'm, there's a lot of speculation here because I can't know. Nobody can. And then we're going to turn around. And it's like, no, eternal torment. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to have a free will conversation with Chris. Because yeah. he said something at one point. I don't know if it was when we were doing our, our preamble before we started recording or if it was after we started recording. But he, he mentioned that as Calvinists, they believe in free will. It's just a different right. kind. And we, we never... No, we never I, put a pin there. I I noted it. No, we want. I, I, and I was like, oh, but that's gonna derail this whole thing. I know. So maybe maybe that's got to be part two. Like, okay, yeah. dude. Like, obviously you're the Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, I am misinformed about what Calvinists think about free will because I thought it wasn't a thing. So you're gonna have to give me more nuanced view here so that I can have a better faith view of what your team is saying. Yeah. Because, okay. like, right, yeah, right now, like, I mean, we recorded an episode over a bit ago, or, or last week. Yeah. It's, I guess it's not out yet. It might be out by the time you're listening to this. But, yeah, I was getting pretty heated when we were talking about original sin. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, I just, it was, just, you know, 
I was like, you know, F Calvinist on this one. Like, <laughs> like, I was I was super heated about it. But you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm shadow boxing a straw man. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good possibility <clears throat> is that we're 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 we are fighting a straw man on this one where we don't understand it completely, but because the Calvinists that we do have in our lives are not good representations. One, because they don't know they're Calvinists. <laughs> and, and, and two, because they haven't actually worked through those thoughts or they don't consider themselves Calvinists. Yeah. So, it's, fuck. It's, yeah. Some, yeah, it's good sometimes to, to be the dumbest person in the room. And right now, Chris made us... Made, made made up for us not not having that for you being a college <laughs> dropout and me being a high school dropout and we're hanging out with this guy who's like oh I got it three years instead of four <laughs> yes I'm and better than point, you and a four point average each time bow to me. I'm just like, oh man, uh, I don't, I don't want to say what my average was in the two years that I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> I was far too interested in girls. I came from. You went to bridal school, not Bible school. I went to bridal school, baby, <laughs> and it worked. You got your degree eh? every night. Eh? Eh? <laughs> I've got a nine-year-old degree from that school, <laughs> <laughs> and he's awesome. All right, on that one, I we should, <laughs> should call it a day. All right. Uh, because we're not very good at this, this is our very first okay. YouTube bullshit. Right. Hold on, let's do this music, and I will uh, freeze off a couple things, and blah, 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 blah. God bless. And don't be a dick. Special thank to Kirk, the fucking riffer Wells, from Liquid State Audio. He was the guitarist, the producer, and the mixing engineer of our incredibly badass intro and outro music. If you need music, if you need tunes for your content, for your shit, <laughs> call Call Kirk, the riffer Wells, at Liquid State Audio and give him many monies, and he will give you excellent excellent stuff for your podcast or for your commercial or whatever the fuck i don't know he's awesome he did that all himself anyway end it